I, I fuck with them like I pick them up all the time and I play with their paws just so that if I want to cup their nails, I can. But you never make your hand a toy. Because then they'll attack it in the middle of the night. If you, like, move your hand under the covers or whatever, they'll – they get you. Oh, that's fun, yeah. though. That's Are so you the fun. Joey the exotic of cats? Oh, my God. There's a call. Yes. <laughs> it means yes. It used to be – Joe used to be exotic. Aaron Atkins or Kevin Quigley, but now you live here. Is the Are you on the air now? You're being racist. David who? I am. Hey, Aaron. I recognize your voice. I recognize your voice, too. I was like, oh, it's David Hi. James. Hi. Oh, you calling in to purchase the necklace? No, he heard He heard your, He heard. heard Aaron's voice, and he was excited about it. He said, oh, I yeah. thought he listened live to check the link, and he said, oh, I heard Aaron's voice, so I wanted to call in. David who? <laughs> David Jane. David Jane. I, I stopped by with my once four-legged, now three-legged dog. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about you today, man. You know who you kind of sound like? You sound like the Ice King from Adventure Time. Oh, you know how many customer service, especially since my last name is Jane, J-A-Y-N-E, I'm talking to these customer services. They've gone through my whole profile, and they still keep calling me ma'am. I'm like, you're talking to David. Ooh. Oh, sorry, sir. Anyway, That's brutal. You're I messing around with your gender pronouns. That's brutal, but also you can't I get can offended. Yeah, yeah, if you get offended, like... Much lower range than my typical conversational voice, especially when I'm all excited like this. Anyway, Pam, yeah. I just did a post on Facebook for my 420 dude Thursday afternoon performance. Right? Yeah, Thursday afternoon at 420. Tagged. I checked that link. I'm looking into Facebook Live or things like that to maybe do a stream, video stream. It looks like with Facebook Live, you can't give any more than a five-hour and a link for people to watch it. But in the meantime, I did a plug for going out over the airwaves, and I think I gave you right. Email, I mean, whatever, website link, and... Well, I'm glad everything works, and I'm excited <laughs> for Thursday at hey, 420. And I'm talking to you. <laughs> and you can, let people, you can let people call in at this number, and then they can call in, too, when you're doing your show on Thursday. I will add that. Hooray. David, David, awesome. David, do you blaze? Yeah. yeah. Like, what, blaze do I Hella? blaze? Yeah, he's asking if you blaze, if you if you blaze, if you like the trying to hand me a blood type push positive type shit. I love the OG Kush. I blaze. I stopped by the dispensary yesterday and pretty much spent the last of my cash. I am supposed to be. Hey, David, don't do that. No, I'll sell you. I'll sell you weed from now on. Don't do that. Don't go to the dispensary. I have all this paperwork to get money back, save money, reopen whatever. It's just paperwork that's been going on for over a year. Well, David, David, I got the freshest, David, I got the freshest OG purple pussy OG Kush that you'll ever smell. Really, I'm four blocks away and my dog needs a walk. <laughs> Are you offering right now? I could pop in. All right, thanks anyway, for calling, David. You have your Quarters you of that pussy, pussy purple OG. We'll $80, call me. Hi, Pam. David, everybody, king shit, as they say. David, everybody, king he's shit. one of our neighbors who um, has been coming to the Friday show. The Ice King himself. Yeah, and he's excited. He plays lots of music, and and I said, hey, if you want to come over, and we'll do a little show. So Thursday at 4:20, we're gonna do that. It's gonna be fun. Is Avery doing a show here? Is she gonna do a music show? Hopefully, uh, yeah. I mean, I need to. I've 
we're friends on Facebook now. That's a step in the right step. direction. She'd love to do a show. She's she used to run a great show, uh, Puget Sound University. They used to have a great show with Audrey White as well. Shout out them for Puget. being great DJs. Puget Sound. What is what what's a, what's something that sounds Puget? Uh, it's a just <laughs> a it's a body of water, a sound. Does it? What does it? It, I bet it's it sounds like, like how does that sound like? That's the sound of something. Else. It sounds like a radio bumper. Sounds like my ass. We were yeah, after <laughs> anything. Pam, we were talking about that. We need to make you a radio bumper. I don't know what that means. Like radio, me, radio Donna oh. Yeah, yeah. We actually have one. Carl does it, man. There's a guy. He's got a very unique voice. There's a famous guy named Toots who did one for us for a while ago about Mutiny Radio. Toots sounds like he does blow. It was no, it's he's Puts a he's a reggae. Yeah. He's like a he's kind like of a famous reggae extract. guy, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Toots. It's an old. It's an old one. Yep. There's call me Toots. There's all kinds of stuff that I need to do and work on, but it's just like one project after another. It's like what's the What's the most important project? I bet that guy was like, yeah. everybody call me Dragon. And they're like, no, we're going to call you... Toots. We're going to call you the Redskins. <laughs> <Toots>. <laughs> they're going to change that name now. They're changing it, baby. And the somebody has all the other cool names trademarked. The Blue Men. Yeah. The URLs yeah. and shit. They should name it By the, the Rednecks. <laughs> that, would, that would work. Or the Crackers. The Black yeah. Lives Matters. Sure, why not? Cover all your bases. Uh... How about the red, the red cocks, red badges, the Jews, wild hogs? Yeah, <laughs> the Jews. All right, Hell's that's angels. what we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> it's Hell's Angels. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? <laughs> what, is there a problem with the naming Washington our team the Jews? Jews? That sounds like a you problem. <laughs> I mean, Christians would be kind of like. Oh yeah. And you, and you did like this. Who do you, and the who Crusaders? do you think was was pissed about the Redskins name changing in the first place? Probably the Christians. So if yeah. you change it to the Jews, it'd be a double whammy. Ooh, the Jew, cr- the Christian Jews, the pro- yeah. Protestants, yeah. the Palestinians. God, can you imagine? The Rohingya Muslims. Shouts out. There's a whole bunch of political stuff you could do. Rohingya. The low income. Do you mean the Rohingya? How about the low income single mothers? How about we finally name a team after the real heroes of our society? <laughs> the teachers. The Washington the teachers. Low income single mother teachers. That's about it's everything you can be. Dude, that was my... What? Huh? What? What? Who? I'm censoring myself on air. Censor. Oh. Cancel. 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 You know, you know I'm a quarter Chinese. Cancel. You know what comes out sometimes. I just got to censor myself. The other three quarters of me want to just dish. But I would never. Spit yeah, dish thank God it. for our cancel button we have right here in the studio. Cancel. You guys want to hear some gossip? Okay. Hmm. So you guys know my Uncle Josh? Yeah. Okay. So my Uncle Josh went mudding with his buddy Max. Mudding? Yeah. Mudding. Oh. You know buddy is buddy Max, right? But yeah. what, what is, is, what is, is well, that? Max's nephew, his name is Steven. Oh. Is mudding just like Steven? driving around in mud? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> but Steven's sister name is Cynthia. Okay. Right. But Cynthia's aunt, her oh. name's she's Sarah, right? Yeah. So Sarah went to Cynthia and said, Max know something about Steve. Connect the dots, baby. Come on. Yeah, give it You're to You're not me. getting it? Fair no, enough. Right. Cynthia. My grandmother is also my mother. <laughs> right, yeah, right. yeah. I shouldn't even be saying you. this on air. Yeah. You know that? My yeah, grandmother is also my mother. <laughs> she fucked my dad. Really? Her son, yeah. 
queen shit. Nice. Literal yeah. 1400s queen You'd shit. You'd be way more goofy looking if that were the case. No, it actually <laughs> it has to repeat over multiple iterations for the the inbreeding to really start to take hold. No, That's no. What with I no, no. You're, you're, you're kind, you are. You're kind quick. of right. You're kind mother of right. Mother son is no, the worst. Not. Mother son's the worst. That's the worst you could do. The next is brother sister. The next is dad son. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, son, incest. Oh, those never survive. That'd be so it's, wild. Those never ever survive. That'd be never so survive. Oh my god! I, I know cousins. Cousins, cousins, I think, cousins starts to show over more. Game, but if you're cousins, cousins game. if you are so within your family, not that kid's no, fucked. It's, look at the map. I know, dude. I know, dude. The okay, this, is a, this is a controversial if you're fact. You're trapped this in a, a castle of only your cousins for eight generations. That's yeah, kind of thick. You're well, gonna they, get fucked up, dude. But well, like, dude, if you do just you know fuck that your cousin once, and then she fucks your brother, and then it's like, and then your dad gets involved you know, and shit. Sam, your dad's also like Holy Roman Emperor. Hey, the guys. Forty percent of all marriages in the Islamic world are relative relations, as in cousins. Yes, are blood relations. <laughs> yeah. That is, I did not just make that up. <laughs> like, I did not just it. throw out some gnarly fact about other people just, that I'm not a part of. They're just learning about how bad it is. Well, yeah, but I mean, you. you I'm not you even think shit. That has, hasn't that been around for a while? Though? Fuck yeah, no, no, dude. Like, I, I'm like back in the day. I bet like just in the like in the fifties, it was. We were just like, oh, cousin fucking, oh, yeah. but she's so hot. Everybody like, come on, it. let me just yeah. do it. See? And it's yeah. a social construct. Yeah, yeah. it is a social construct, dude, but it still produces. I told you, like, mom. Like, dude, I saw a video of a guy who has to take, like, 50 different types of medications a day because his pa- his parents are cousins. He's also a dumbass. Dude, the, mo- the, the majority of. IQ of, like, 80, right? Dude, when you didn't seem that dumb. Flatters when you, when you don't want to fuck your sister, it's because, it's because there's something in your brain that recognizes that you grew up with her. Like. There's no way to thing. smell that it's your sister. There's no way to like know that I shouldn't fuck my sister unless it's like just like that like repetitive cognitive like this, this is my sister. She's a baby, you know. You don't grow up with your cousins. It's why it's why you know sometimes cousins can be hot, right? You think under right? any certain okay, Sam? If right. Fourteen hundreds. Would Not you my cousins, look at but your, your cousins be can like, be hot. Your cousins are hot. Aaron. She knows so much about me. We're soulmates. We just like we were made for each other. Fucking gnarly. That's Woody Allen shit. Dude, it's, it's they the weren't related. I know, you know what? but it's still fucked it is still up. Step, si- up. Yeah. step siblings. It's power. What about yeah, power? Yeah, yeah. No, it was about because he nurtured her and yeah, watched her grow and made her into this person power. that he wanted. He wanted for himself. It's about power. Yeah, that's all. Power. What do you? What, no, Woody Allen did what Soon Young Kim, what like a master ceramicist would do with the clay pot. He just molded her and then he pissed into it because she's Whoa. Asian. Yeah. <laughs> No, she had to no, be a and you can't rule pot. that a ceramicist out. Like you can't like rule out anything about their sex pot. life. The word mold here is important because humans. She's don't still mold better off than pot. being a Korean orphan, though. I'll say that live on air, dude. I bet Ooh, she, she loves Woody. Better off. Better she wanted off to do it. Before. He didn't like. He didn't force her to marry her. Let me edit that out. What if I want to be? What if I want to do something with my life? I don't think they're. I don't think Cisco Systems is gonna. I watched a documentary about questions. Amy Schumer. This guy dug up so much about Amy Schumer. So yeah, it's much. What, that's what she does about to people. Like she, she dug up a fucking ten-year um, footage of of Joey Diaz on the JRE on the Joe Rogan podcast of him like saying some pretty gnarly shit. Like oh, basically yeah. saying oh, like, that he yeah, would, he, would, he would he would give someone? girls stage time at the at the laugh factory if they'd suck my dick. And Joe Rogan was like, 
How many girls do you do that to? He was like, like 20, dog. Like 20. No, <laughs> like no 20 joke. Dog. No, he goes, he goes, no joke, like 20. Like 20, dog. Like 20. And it's he like, clarified and it. they oh, all die like, of I'm laughter. I'm serious right now, 20. This ain't a joke, dog. 20. Wait. There was yeah. some video of a streamer. You know who Rice like Gum is? Gnarly, but like, like it was on the Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do, do you know who? It's called you, the casting couch for a reason. Everybody acts like it's such a big fucking deal. There's a reason yeah. why there's a trope called the casting couch is that for years and years, women were taught that the way you got ahead in Hollywood is that you had to sleep with everybody. Like that was the Weinstein thing. And then when someone stood up like Mira yeah. Sorvino, the when someone different. like Mira Sorvino stood up and said, no, I'm not going to get in a bathtub with you. You're a scary, fat old fuck. He tanked her whole career. Dick. What happened to Mira Sorvino? She like got a fucking Oscar or something or got nominated and then she disappeared. And the same thing happened to the girl who was in Jawbreaker who was so pretty, yeah. who was like with Marilyn Manson for a while. And she's kind of a weirdo and kind of a fun little wacky actress. Rose McGowan. The same thing happened to Rose McGowan that happened to Mira Sorvino. And it was that Harvey Weinstein said, fuck me or I'll tank your career. And they said no. And then he tanked their careers. And it happened from like, why did they disappear? Why were they big in the early 90s and all of a sudden the late 90s they disappeared in the thousands they weren't there? Is that they said no, but everyone else said yes. We're all better for that that cultural thing being destroyed. We are all better off for it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, society's better off for that. I mean, not, you, not scumbags. Scumbags are definitely not better off. They're like, shit, yeah, but Harvey blew up the spot. You know, how men, you know how men get ahead in life? By giving young starlets careers. Yeah. That's how men get Dude, a, a single he, I, saw, I saw a video. There's some, there's some, oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, I'm a comedian. <laughs> A blab, blue, 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 blue. Ah, woo, aren't I wacky? That's from Family Guy. Andy Dick. I love Dude, Andy Dick. Dude, you see Andy Dick get punched in the face because there's like he's like, I just want a treat, and no, someone's gonna like, punch him in the video. face. Dude, he's humiliating himself. He did a cribs tour. He lived in a shed. <laughs> oh fuck yes, <laughs> it's a nice one. And then he's like. This is my painting. It's worth three thousand uh, dollars. I had to keep fuck. something. And no. then later on, he got drunk and got punched. Yeah, by, he, he pawned that jumped dude. by dudes because he was drunk and he was like saying like the n word or something. Reckless shit, I bet. Yeah, yeah that's some, some Andy shit. Dick shit. Yeah, that's what Andy Dick do. Andy Dick. Andy he went to my Dick. school, alma mater. Really? He went to Columbia. Yeah. Ooh. King shit. My my hero, my idol, my striving star. Andy Dick. What a hilarious name. <laughs> I don't think it's real. I think it's a stage name. My friend's name was Dick Arms. <laughs> Richard, Richard Julian Arms, Arms the fifth. Richard Arms, dude. Dickie Arms. <laughs> hey, hit up Dickie Arms. We need Good some. <laughs> we suspended. need some Percocets. Me, me and him. Me and him. Me and Andy's him. Dick's real name is Andrew Dick. Oh, oh. Skim, wild. Skim pop quizzes from the history teacher. We used to go in after he left, oh. take pictures of the shit on the MV touches With that we Dickie had. Arms. I'd be lookout, he would take the pictures. And get old Dickie would come in. And we got busted. It's so hey, funny because in all the time that you probably spent setting up that heist, you could have just studied the material Fuck. and learned yeah. it and then fine on the Fuck. test. Yeah. No, you could have. I mean, but it's you just applied time yourself in a different true. way. I hear that all the time. If you just applied, no, it is. applied it's yourself and did the work. No, cheating is more efficient than not cheating. No, it's not. Not yes, if you have to do a lot Yeah, but you had to pull off a heist. Yeah. How many hours did it take? To get a groove. Then you start to know, and then you are hella good at heisting. It's yeah, like, it's like just like you what you do with studying. You just repeat your act for 20 years. If Jerry Seinfeld, but like, it's just like that. You know, once you figure out how to print out the thing and tape it to the inside of the water bottle, or like put, find the perfect note card, put it inside the test. You know, good yeah, but why wouldn't you just 
do the work. Aaron, you and cheat learn all something. the time. You, I see you. What do you mean? Put your phone on the stage. That's cheating. not cheating. That's my persona. It's a cheater. You cheating? It's not cheating. Cheat delicious one. How would you know? You cheetah girls, man. I respect it. I'm one of the cheetah girls too. I don't cheat. You cheat, you but you bring this phone on the stage. I used to have a bit about it. I was like, I'm going to cheat right now, you know? I used, to, I used to write joke one, joke two, joke three on my style. hand, and then say, go up on the stage. Be like, oh, joke one, that doesn't really help, it's does it? It's a different it? style. Are you, what are, you, are you cheating for just being an angry comic? I mean, is that cheating? Is that a crutch? No. Yeah, I would say I'd say it's a crutch just to be, like, angry about everything, you know? I don't think anything's a crutch in Dude, that Dude, I'm way. only saying it because I do it, too, and I consider it cheating. That doesn't mean that I do it as a cheat, as a crutch at all. I don't do it. I don't remember shit up there. <laughs> I just fucking get it. Oh, I'm going to say this. What the fuck is I going to say? All right, I'll talk about dicks. <laughs> Everybody loves Default. Dicks. Yeah, when, when I'm still in that dick phase. Yeah. This is the only comment. I love using my phone because it's just so casual, you know? People want you to be casual anyway. But you also know that you're just up there. You use your phone actually using it as a sound device, so... That's different. Like it's it's that almost well. a prop. That as well. I mean, yeah. it is a prop. I think that yeah. I mean, well, I I used to feel the same way about open micers using their phone, but it's no different than using like a fucking notepad. I guess unless you want to convince the audience yeah, that dude, you're I just like, that too. I bring a thing oh, I'm off the top of my head. I'm just like naturally thinking of this funny stuff. They know better. There would be no point for me to bring any notes on stage because I'm so blind that I couldn't see anything I'd written down anyway at this point. Like uh. I wouldn't even be able to read. The only way I'd be able to read it at this point is like look really far away or look really close up, which I can't do. So there's just there's there's no option for me to even try. I can do it without my phone, but it's just so stale. Bro. Any reefer? That I could take a bong oh, real yeah, quick. Sure. Yeah, liddy. Okay. Um. Don't. Don't. No dead air, everybody. Keep no being, dead air. Keep being well, scintillating. Yeah. Jesus Silly and goofy. You and guys, friends. You and guys stuff. ever watch Making a Model with Yolanda Hadid? No. no but I've heard she takes 13-year-old girls and tells them they're G- fat. Gives them Adderall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she's yeah, like, you fat, need to lose about drugs. 30 pounds. Uh. How that much? Weinstein shit, everybody's pissed about it, but that's actually what we all do. The so wine <laughs> don't scene? hate it. <laughs> I've been involved in the wine scene. The wine scene. Yeah, they make would some you good take wines. a drug if, if you knew it would make you better at the thing you wanted to be good at? That's what Dude, I have a drug that alcohol. would make me better at the thing I'm good at. Zans. You sleep better? Zans. Dude, I, I do, I do better some pretty sleeping? good comedy off just like a touch of Zan. Because you get up there and the adrenaline kind of overpowers the stupidness that you get with I, a touch I of the Zan. I, yeah, I agree, I agree with that. Benzodiazepines don't hurt you on stage. They don't yeah. hurt. They don't hurt me on well, stage. Wait, well, it depends how many you benzos stage. you ate. Because if you Ten ate too many, volume, yeah. Ten milligrams volume is a lot of volume. Yeah, That's I don't. I get, I don't really. I haven't really gotten into the volume game. All I know is like a quarter bar, a quarter. Break off one of those, a quarter of those big old zanny sticks, and you go on stage and you're you're loosey goosey, and you're wacky and you're good. And you're not nervous. That's what's most important. And but the thing about that is that's so dan- like you can't fucking get in the habit of getting using an anti-anxiety drug to get rid of your anxiety uh, on stage. Yeah, like, that's what alcohol. The fuck? What happens when you run out of Zans, bro? What I'm trying to get at is yeah, that's what what I drink a little pills? bit of li- uh, liquor before. Would I use Jake pills and just have a a unimpressive hard on on stage? No way. <laughs> no, it's not about <laughs> balloon knot. It's not about having a boner on stage. It's about lasting a long time on stage. Ah. Uh, like dick pills, people. people Have you eaten diss some on dick, dick pills? pills, dude? Pe- people take Roman. dick pills and they're like, "Why would I get hard just to come in two seconds anyway?" It's like you don't come in two seconds. 
If you're coming in two seconds, you don't need dick pills. Why would you want dick pills? You don't need dick pills. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not Pam. Pam, that's I used to say that all the time. It's such a, it's such a dumb thing. Like a kid, it's not good enough. Have you ever had dick pills? You know what dick pills do to a dick? No. Have you ever eaten a dick pill? They turn you into a Neanderthal. Because I've never needed them. I don't take drugs unless I. Make you hard and they make you stay rock fucking hard the whole time and you don't and you don't ever you don't ever dude I've bust it too early. You I've, don't ever is it blast harder to bust? off. You don't ever Apollo eleven challenger eighty five. You're not exploding. You're 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 in it to win it. It's it's miracle on ice when you're fucking with like dick pills. I took, dude, I took a dick pill once and I didn't get laid. <laughs> I fucking was just left you took with it the too early. blue balls. You yeah. took it too early. Yeah, well, That's I was hard. like, this is a sure thing. Uh, it didn't happen. I just went back to my spot and I felt so. I it was blue balls times a thousand. You know what you gotta do? You know what those? And then I rubbed those? one out and it made it just like ha- it turned it into regular blue balls. Yeah. Wow! <laughs> I just like keep going. I you know what those Nazi, you know what those well. Nazi spies would do? With just they keep a little cyanide thing in their back tooth. Yeah, fake tooth. You gotta tooth. take a dick pill. Find the old yeah, capsules. Yeah, that'd be sick. Oh, that'd that, be so swinger. In the back molar, which like what's that in your cheek? You're like I'm dipping, bitch. Dick pill. Oh, that'd be fucking so fuck many. You. Oh, that should have been a Deuce Bigelow European Gigolo joke. They should have put that in the movie. Deucey, take your dick pill. In case things get too rough, I can't. You guys have never. I hope don't, that no, things don't come to it. No, I've I've fucked on the dick pill. It makes you Dude, ravenous. Second, ravenous. It's it's yeah, shocking. It's I, I really think it's gonna be the new norm. I think like like as much as Adderall in the work and culture. And because dick is, pills are coming back, you don't such need a lazy coward. We are lazy you cowards. even we'll talking about this? You're 24 years old and you're talking about this yeah. offends me oh, yeah. deeply because oh, yeah. it means you're a lazy coward. Uh-huh. You can do it Man. on your own, yes. just fine. Correct. And you decide to augment with drugs. What uh-huh. the yeah, but fuck we is we can party without drugs too. Everything you said is correct because it's more lit. But that's the whole thing is that you. You don't need the help, so why take it? No, extra. All right. I'm gonna put extra. the same. I'm gonna put the same argument to makeup. You know, women shouldn't wear makeup for the same reason. No, it's, but I don't. Wear women no more makeup. You don't need it without it. That's so lazy. Why not just yeah, run and Pam, lose weight? Same oh. argument. Stupid. Okay, I run and lose weight all the time. I'm like, not. Then yeah, this isn't for you. I don't use dick pills. I bet Sam doesn't even use dick pills. It's just for the sake of the argument. Maybe. I'm just saying it's offensive. That a person under thirty would even conceptualize using them, <laughs> because you can do fine without it's them. It's not. Come on. But then why? I don't care about your feelings. Because no, because it's just it's like okay, <laughs> like have this sex or just have this wild and crazy ravenous sex, yeah. and it's like you gonna just turn Probably it down on the on the premise of I don't need them. Like okay, somebody offers me a line of coke and be like, like and I'm drunk. Oh, I'm drunk. I don't need that coke. Like pill. you'll never hear me say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like someone's gonna give me drugs and be like, all right, hey. Listen, I don't need these drugs. I most certainly don't need them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And dude, honestly, they do all the time. Oh, something's wrong. That's why you get addicted to pills. Yeah, but that's not our fault. My parents gave me pills. No, parents gave me pills. I mean, I'm just lucky that I never was put on all that fucking methamphetamine as a child. I I don't think that you need it to function. Me and Sam were. That's why we're so fucked up. And then they fucking give it to you, and then you're 30, (laughs) and you think that there's a pill for everything. Your kidneys are going to be fucked when you're in your 40s. Yeah. You take this many drugs when you're young. Have you ever thought about what long-term Adderall or speed usage does to you? You don't when you're a kid. You're going to be on dialysis. When you're 45. Oh God! Don't say this shit. It makes me want to drink. It makes you want to drink. for a baby girl. Yeah, we're gonna have, we're gonna have pacemakers that are so the lit. Dialysis machines are gonna be able to put them in your breast pocket. It's gonna be fine. What if I name my daughter Dialysis? That's a beautiful. You know those name. hip oh. dialysis, dialysis dialysis Atkins. 
That's Dialysis Atkins. Oh my God! And Atkins She's is the name Pisces. of the diet. She's a Pisces. I'm a Taurus. Says she's expensive, but I could afford it. Hey, my friend it. drives a Taurus. All right. Dick pills. Wham, wham, wham. I like to dick rant. Pills Ranting is like one of my norm. favorite things to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. No, do you, but like I, I understand where you're coming from with a dick pill, but like. You, you can apply that attitude to any drugs. Yeah. For sure. And to makeup and to, I mean, what? Women women have so much. The only know. reason why I agree with you is because if you don't need dick pills, they really give you the rapey vibe. Like, they really Oof. give you the ha, ha. They turn you into a caveman. <laughs> My, dude, like you're it, like, is funny, it is funny. I've never like felt that. You're aggressively that. horny, and it's like, okay. <laughs> you, ever take, you ever take one and then just like with your friend, just like one friend, like you both take it, and then you yes. go to his kids like, like. You go to your cousin's bar mitzvah when you yeah. got a pill and you hang out with all those yeah, kids. Yeah, and you're aggressively horny. In the corner oh. <laughs> and you slow yeah, dance with you them. You can overpower the boner, but like you, you can't overpower down. the nut thing that you happens. Slow down, you slow dance with right. them and you your keep the right distance, just like the janitor, so that you yeah. <laughs> have a very funny image in my head now. Or you can go, goodbye horses, and just shove your sack behind. Rock, oh yeah, <laughs> not good looking kids. Youth League softball. Can Can I have your number? Muni <laughs> radio in the morning. Intermural baseball. I am. Can we play 50. this in the morning? Can we do this? Can this be our drive time show? We can play it. Whenever. Drive time live. <laughs> Mutiny Radio in the morning with yeah. Billy Sullivan. Your boy Bill. <laughs> Sam Carroll. Uh, and Pam uh, Benjamin. Bring, 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 bring. Where? Ooga ooga. Give it a two. Give it a two. Give it a two. Mutiny Radio in the morning. Fucking up frequencies and shit. Oh, I know. We'll, we'll pull it out. You could be the new Delilah, Pam. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Before your time. <laughs> it's Before get your time. Get wrecked. Pam, she oh, you mean Elvira? No, she hosted the greatest soft rock, soft pop adult contemporary show that with a Christian lean on 94.5 K Bay. For she was nationally syndicated. Yeah, Dude, she used to play Katie Lang. <laughs> the jam scam she, hour. She used to play Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton back to back. <laughs> and then she'd play Where Did I Go Wrong? I lost a friend somewhere. And I was like, damn, I guess I, also, I too lost a friend somewhere in the bitterness. I'm eight years old. Yeah. And then she and then she play Delilah. What's it like down in Bakersfield? You're you're a good enough singer and you know music well enough that you could do a whole montage of karaoke songs that could be very very funny. Especially since you're so young and if you did them from a whole different time period, like even if you did like the history of music through karaoke, starting with the Bee Gees right. and did your funny voice and then like. Starting with the Bee Gees. I mean, it's almost. That's <laughs> where it began. Me and Aaron. <laughs> if, if anyone doesn't know, me and Aaron are hella good at karaoke. But my point is that it'd be a funny joke. It would be like. Like Saturday Night Live when the when he did the thingy with the lounge music with the girl and the piano and the Will Ferrell. The lounge singer, yeah. Yo, you I cashed have, this have, last I time. No, baby. I yeah, let me get some herb. There's no. plenty. I've got a whole. Goodbye, reefer. Goodbye, reefer. They're taking. That's they're taking our reefer. 
What if they give talk show on SNL? Hilarious. <laughs> that's, that's our left wing. Right. What if they're taking our guns? Well, they're taking our reefer. Actually, they're giving you us back. Put your weed in there. Dude, gun sales have oh, gone wait, up. Oh wait, do you hear that? Shots. That's gunshots. Yeah, mission. Oh yeah. really? I don't like them. Yeah. No, it's that's still cool. fireworks. No, no, yeah, 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 that's yeah. fireworks. Yeah. fireworks yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. hilarious. That sounded really different from the fireworks. I've been watching my alone show, and Dude, every time there's a noise, I'm really like, that's a puma. Like, that's gunshots. People will be like, that's a hard yeah, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know I have no idea if it's yeah, fire. Exactly. I do this gunshots. Yeah. I, I know, bro. No, it's so straight. The sound, like, your sounds were just so staggered and not City. fucking, you know. I'm a white guy. I don't know shit. <laughs> you want to hear what it sounds like when a, when a horn has sex? <laughs> Suppose. Oh, my God. Are those gunshots in the house? Yeah, <laughs> you Thank should have you. said that into the mic. <laughs> Don't worry, I was uh, distracting him with my horn. I've sex. got, I've got my new inappropriate joke, but I think I need to sell it to Warhol or give it to him. Spit it right now. It's the I've I've said it a couple times, but so you know how Tiger Woods is really rich, mm -hmm. and he's also half Thai and half black. Right. Do we call him a tycoon? Uh. It's so good. I feel it's like good. it has to have been done before. It has to have been done before. <laughs> I know it's it should so already good. be on the internet. But it's good. I'm, I am, I am yeah. more clever than people give. Actually, this is this COVID's actually quite helped me out. I'm sorry that weed is so bad and my bong doesn't work either. It's just such like a. It's just, it's just a, a disaster. It's a recipe for disaster. Pam, what you just said reminds me of something that I've been saying. The only time I know that I'm better than you is if you say you think you're better than me. And you just said, every, nobody says that I'm talented or creative. Right. Me thinks I'll protest too much. No, no, I do. I oftentimes <laughs> feel. But no, lately I've felt really great about it since COVID started because I'm part of all these other weird things. And I'm like, since comedy sort of disappeared and I've been one of the only people that has access to it, I, I've watched my sets. I'm way funnier than I was like six months ago. Like I'm much more comfortable. And maybe it's because everybody else sucks because they're not getting the time that I'm getting. And so yeah. I'm like, ha, ha. Look at me get better, and you all get worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know. Worse. Yeah, maybe it's not me getting better. Maybe it's just everybody else getting worse. And I don't mind that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you should kind of just be indifferent to it. I think being indifferent to people getting worse is, is the best attitude because obviously the worst part of you is going to be like, yes, everybody's sucking. Yeah, but the, the best part, yeah. yeah, the best part of you should be like, oh, I'm trying to make them better. And, like, being in the middle is just is a good person, I think. Oh, no, like – I'm the. I'm trying to help I people. I'm. Not, I'm trying thing. to. I'm trying to help a specific group of people get better. But yeah, other than like that, your friends. Fuck them. Everybody else is a yeah, dick. Yeah, everybody else can suck a dick. Yeah. Sure. Everybody else, yeah. All right. No, no Who wants friends. me to read a poem? Yeah. No oh, I, your stuff, your work is so good. Yeah. No new friends. No, no. You've got no. all your. your um, just a mess of haikus. Can I get your thing? This one comes in an Irish accent. Your pen. How this one comes in I an like Irish curtains bowl. that don't quite shut. I like bread knives that don't quite cut. I like rips in blue jeans. I like people who can't say what they mean. I like spiders with no legs, pencils with no lead, ants with no heads, worms that are half dead. I like holes. I like coffee cold. I like creases in neat folds. I like signs that just don't know where they're going. We're under attack here at Mutiny Radio. I like angry poems. I like the way you can't pin down the sea. Sea. I the sea. The sea, sea. How I love the sea. Like sea, though. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got that homonym there at the end. You know, Mutiny Radio was founded in a mutiny in an 1800s sea vessel. Sure. I've heard this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what Pam told me. Yeah. 
Sir John Crozier was the captain of the ship. He didn't respect the men's needs, is what happened. Right, boys? And we were like, let's get a mutiny and just do comedy, lads. Aye. We just want to do stand-up comedy. This ship be to an not a place audience. for harboring mutinies. Or harboring resentment. If only there was a way for tens of people to tune in and hear what we have to say. <laughs> tens of people. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's, that's good and true. No, this is a very syndicated podcast, isn't it, God? Like five. Well, this is this one's yeah. called Pop Off, and he hasn't been doing it for a while since COVID. We're popping off, baby. Yeah, and he. Oh, is this way? And he actually plays. Um, <laughs> he usually plays '80s music, which is really cool. And he calls it something like Dusty Cove or something. Anyways, <laughs> Dusty music. Cove. That it's sounds like a pirate's whorehouse. It is. It's something like. That. <laughs> but yeah, sounds tens lit. Of, tens of thousands, tens I of people are listening. I'd hang out in a place called yeah, Dusty Cove. Back. I she got a real dusty cold. Have you met Bear before? Yeah. <laughs> Watching the pop off everyone here. <laughs> what up, Bear? Ah, that's right, everybody. Sam's a trespasser. Who wants to hear another poem? Sure. This one's by Emily Dickinson. Oh, another by poem. Emily. Did you know that every Emily Who Dickinson can poem can be sung to the you? tune of uh, no. of uh, Gilligan's Island? Every Emily every Dickinson. Long years apart can make no breach. A second cannot fill. It, it works. The, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to do it's that. Be, uh, because <laughs> I could yeah, not stop right. for death. He kindly stopped for me. There was nothing between ourselves but immortality. It just keeps going. That's so fire. Emily every Dickinson Every single slaps. Emily Dickinson poem can be sung to She's got bars. Of Gilligan's Island. Long Gilligan's years apart. Island. Gilligan's Island. That's this the first is called thing you teach. Poem. That's what you when you're teaching um like creative writing one oh one and you get to the poetry section and you get to Emily Dickinson, that's what you teach everybody to like fuck them up forever. <laughs> so that every time they read Emily Dickinson they remember to sing it like Say what you mean but say it slant. Yeah. This one's called thirteen eighty three by Emily Dickinson. Long years apart can make no breach a second cannot fill. The absence of the witch does not invalidate the spill. The embells of a thousand years uncovered by the hand that fondled them when they were fire will stir and understand. Here we, here we, here we fucking go. Here we, here we, here we fucking go. I do the I do the poetry reading with go the Rangers. I do go the poetry Celtic. reading with the Glasgow people at noon every Friday, so or every Wednesday. If you want to call into our Zoom, you can feel free to read your poems. Every one of their poems. Or see, <laughs> they kick you out so fast. They're all really um they're all really respectful and nice and they even use the right they ask you to use your pro they ask you to introduce your pronouns before you even start because they're trying to be super inclusive. Uh. They're nice people. And they actually listen to people's poems, and then they like clap. They're freshening up on my brain. Just like witches at Black Masses. Go sail it. All right now, get it. Wamp 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 wamp. Everybody, what's your best accent? I can only do Iceland. I can do Icelandic. I can do Bjork. That's it. That's, That's all I got. Billy, what about you? I reckon I can do a pretty good Irishman. That's all right. Same about yeah. you. Probably black. Yeah, do it. Asshole. Do it. <laughs> we fucking hate you. If do you it. do it, we're canceling you. <laughs> it's all that urban these days. <laughs> that's, that's a one tag right there. Yeah. Right? yeah. That's, that's only a one tag yeah. Can anybody do a Chris Rock? I do impression? accents, but I can only do black. One rib. How much for just one rib? Your substitute oh, teacher. No. How much for just one rib? Uh, Jimmy Fallon, I hear, can do a great Chris Rock impression. Dude, yeah, it's pretty good. I watched that blackface video. Oh. Uh, 
Yeah, it's it's his blackface video. Jimmy Fallon got outed. Justin Trudeau doesn't. You know what get didn't get outed? Trudeau. You know what didn't get outed? What? Is Jimmy Fallon's Ben and Jerry's flavor still stocked at a local store near what you? Is it? Yeah. Did not get can't. Yeah, uh, what is it called? Kept the ice cream deal. What? It's, it's a called good ass the ice tonight cream. dough. Yeah, it's good. It's a it's a what it is, it is what is it is it's a a mild vanilla in a thin brown. coating of chocolate. Yeah, with some cookie dough anyway, chunks anyway. in it. Edible because that's a blackface dough. joke right there. Uh, that's a really nice. good one, but really I did not oblique. understand. One, it was a little yeah, I thought you were really good. I thought you were actually describing the cream. Oh, what that's I should have really done good. is like it's a it's a thin layer of chocolate over a mild vanilla. Yes. Just reverse them. Yeah. That's a good one. You have to set it up to make that clear. Yeah, and you have to talk about Jimmy Fallon being in blackface yeah. a couple sentences before so that it'll make sense. Yeah. But not right next to it, so it's too obvious. But it is hard to get a little Jimmy bit. Jimmy Fallon's boring. You'd rather talk about something else. Yeah, me too. You, we Wait, only have 15, 16 minutes left. All Jimmy so. Fallon do is clap and laugh. He just goes, ha! That's all he does. He goes, ha! And blackface. And he goes back to asking questions. And he goes yeah. back to blackface after that. He does musical impressions that are pretty fucking good. No lie. What about um? SNL. You, you guys watch SNL auditions? Nah. You see some famous comics. Will Ferrell. I don't watch Ferrell's SNL. Ferrell's so good yeah. with the Get Off the Shed. No, there's the the one that the wasn't shit. recorded that only Will Ferrell will tell the story. Uh. He just he just went. He just pretended he was a worm on the ground. He got on all all. He got on his hip and then kept his arms and his his arms together and his legs together and he just went around the room and he was like, "I'm a nightworm. I'm a nightworm." And that, and like instead of reading the script, he just did that, I, as as his audition. What the hell? <laughs> and, they, and they were like, "This guy, is that's come on, <laughs> he's got it, he's got, he's it. got he's it. it." A star is born. That's insane. Because yeah. <laughs> I saw I saw the get off the shed one, which is <laughs> genuinely one of the best solo sketches of all time. I think they tried to do it as like a as an ensemble sketch on SNL, and it just sucked ass. Because how he plays every role is just phenomenal. Heightened so well. Will Ferrell. You know, we're talking about the get off the shed sketch with uh, Will Ferrell. Well, he did an audition for SNL and he just plays a dad doing barbecue. And he's like, Yeah, I'm just doing barbecue. Get off the shed. And it just builds off that. That's sure. Get off the shed! He just shouts <laughs> it. And yeah. he's such a good shouter. Sure, sure, he just. I love them as the cheerleader. He's taco, burrito. What's coming out of your speedo? You got trouble. What? What? You got bubbles. Yay! <laughs> 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 Him and Sherry O'Terry are the fucking cheerleaders and they're cheerleading for the dumbest shit. It's perfect. I loved it. I loved it. And it's super old, too. I think the cow the cowbell one is his most overrated role because that is, although it's the most iconic, I think he is an socks, dude. The socks made it iconic. Boston sports made it iconic. You're right. It's not a bridge. No, it's his stomach. It's his it's no, his dude, stomach coming out of his shirt. I remember I died of laughter when I first that watched that. I was also like 12. But you forget so that funny. it's Will Ferrell in a way, you know? I, d- I, d- I forgot that that was Will Ferrell because of the, the cowbell marketing has become so much. Yeah. That brother's well, Talladega Nights, Walken though. is what made that sketch great. I mean, it isn't like yeah. – that wasn't a Will Ferrell sketch per se. Wait, can I speak on the room for a second? Yeah. Step Brothers. Yeah. Bomb-ass movie. Oh, come on. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> brave, brave. Citizen Kane about Jerry. I like Mary Steenburgen. Steenburgen, who plays, plays the mom, I like her a lot as an actress. She was in The Yearling, which was a movie in the 70s hmm. where she took care of like a fawn in the backwoods. It was crazy. Like, But I've always loved Mary Steenburgen. And she's like fucking seventy, and she's still hot. So, yeah, she is hot. The Citizen Kane of our generation, dude. That's such a good. Movie. Oh my god! Was it? Oh, <laughs> dude, I met her. I met her. Mary Steenburgen. I met her in a Phoenix airport. Really? How the fuck did that? How did that? 
play out. Or maybe it wasn't her. It wasn't her. It wasn't her. She maybe has curly black hair. It was I think it was some Condoleezza other Rice. <laughs> when I, when I Sanford, actually. Oh, classic mix-up. Condoleez, condescending. I stay condescending. In condos that my dad and mom pay for. Uh, condescending Condoleezza Rice. Condoleezza Rice is fire. She never got fired. Even Colin Powell, he got fired. That's a bar. That's kind of a bar. Thank you. That rhymed. I watched a four-part, several-hour PBS documentary uh, on TV with Was it called Ken Burns' The Civil War? It's called... I love everything. I love everything. Ken Burns' Baseball? It was like four days Ken Burns' Baseball is hella good. Baseball. Vietnam one is probably the best one. Civil War is my favorite. Nam is probably the best one. I've always been... No way. Nam is the best one. My parents. Nam is so crazy. My parents' generation. My parents' generation what? did, no, did like that, Vietnam. That, that docu series. That yeah, but like the baseball that. one no, was it's about not seven baseball. Days. Seven no, no, it's. I've just always been really no, interested in Vietnam because of yeah. when I was born and it was such a close war and it was so, like, it was right there. But we weren't even acknowledging it then. And when I was in eighth grade, I had to do this project and I stood out in front of the mall with a VHS camera because my dad had one or whatever. And I asked people what they thought about Vietnam. And this is like in 1988. And half the people wouldn't answer me. They're like, I don't want to talk about that. Like we don't talk. Why are you asking? That's uh, uh, d- d- we don't. We're, I don't know. And just no one wanted. It's going on Damn, YouTube. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, it was before YouTube. It was in 1988. It was for a school project. It's for school. This is public property. Yeah, Actually, I can film here if I want to film. There was going to be like this and way to connect everything, and everyone was going to be able to see everything one day. Internet if you're being hard. a Karen in a specific moment, that it could get back to you in the end. But Karen was a really popular name when I was growing up too. And I mean, now I look at them. Then. Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's like what it is. When you were growing up, they were like. Like the generation before you, they that was like a massive name, and now the generation before you is just absolutely Trudy. Trudy used to be really Amish high. names. Yeah. Go for it, Jebediah. Yo, but hold up, Karen. It would suck if your name was just Karen and yeah. The kid. Imagine oh, being a kid and every Karen. Chad. Like Kyle, Kyle and Chad, they've gotten by. Imagine four-year-old Karen yeah. and her mom. Like I can't believe I named her Karen. I knew it was a dying name, and I still went for it. Like there are yeah. four-year-old Karens out there. Dude, I kind of always hated the name Chad. I'll be honest. Like I, Chad, no, just, Chad I sucks. Some, I have a friend named Chad. He's Everyone who's Chad like is overcompensating for being Chad, and they're trying to be like cool and shit. Yeah. Like you're being told to that because you know, society conditions Chad. you to be a Chad, you know. And like, what's harder than that? Be a Chad. You know the Chad that I know. It's he like got racism. wood earrings. He has earrings. Oh wood. no, wood earrings now. Now he's Chad with wood earrings instead of like Chad who plays lacrosse. The Chad I Which know he was is hella good at lacrosse. Yeah, <laughs> he also <laughs> he played like lacrosse. Now he's got wood earrings. Damn, there were two Chads on our team. Wood earrings. Wood. <laughs> Like gauges? No, they're not gauges. It's a metal pin sticking into a wood, and then only the metal pin goes into the ear. That's wood. Wood earrings. Made of wood. <laughs> like, <laughs> Jesus. Like, get don't get water on it, because then it will rot, and then you... Rotten wood earrings. It's kind of metal. That's a good nickname. Oh, no, it's not. Or a metal band. Rotten wood earrings. No, hey, I'm going over the wa- wood rotten band. wood earrings show. Maybe a you want to come? No, that Maybe sounds terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Megadeth side project folk band is wood earrings. You can't go to South America because you would get termites. Ha! <laughs> one termite in his ear. That suck. What? We got termites in the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> like a Tom Hanks termite, like a, like a castaway termite that just found uh, a piece of one and he's looking for his body. He's like, Where are you? <laughs> What the fuck? Where 
said, <laughs> this guy's a dick. He's conversationally insufficient. Termite <laughs> <laughs> on a fucking wood Wilson. earring. That would suck. Wilson. Yes. That movie was actually terrifying at the beginning when he goes in the plane crash. Like, I, I couldn't. I, it's so. You imagine so working for FedEx, dude. That, oh that part where he loses the ball, dude. That's the oh worst my God. part. You guys think he fucked that ball? Sure. It was inflated. I would have fucked the ball. The Stephen King. Thing. No, you'd rub your you'd rub your bone up against no, you, it. But you I mean, there was a hole, hole in, in it. Sand. Yeah, there was. No, you too kiss sandy. the ball. Fucking sand. You Nobody's kiss the ball and you make no a way. hole. No way. Imagine. Too sandy. Oh, it gets God. in the tip. It gets in the See, tip. See, that's why we cut off there. our foreskin so we can fuck sand easier. <laughs> 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 I'm saying a coconut <laughs> mac. Back in those days, there yeah, was a Abraham lot of was like, "Oh, all of this sand is getting into my smegma." See, that's how it went down. I'm saying take in a coconut, Bible. mash up all the coconut meat so it's like a jelly, oh, and then yeah. stop talking on the radio. You're a sexual. <laughs> <laughs> so. You just have to get a young coconut. You know, when they're all like soft and supple on the inside. Would you know and seen any of her movie? I just bake a You guys pie. ever seen Remember the Titans? Yeah. Dude, they say the C word in that. That's crazy. What C word? What Pam's joke? Yeah. You can say, you can say cunt. It's okay. No, the other the, like a like a like a raccoon. The blacks oh. were yeah. I'm not even gonna say it on the air. No, yeah. I'm well, they had liberal. to show ra- the movie's about racism. If they didn't have any racist terms, it wouldn't really like, wouldn't be that good of True. a portrayal. I forgot know? how racist it was. I get it confused oh, with yeah. Rudy, and then I'm like, this is the no, racist it's, one. Yeah, this is it's it's Rudy about segregation. Rudy, Rudy was is about racism. The Irish yeah. have been subjugated for a long time. Oh God! Oh, that's well, no, I don't want to say it to the level oh, of African Americans. It's but The Irish will love that this. The Irish about have the tiny guy. He's and being sizism. autistic. Yeah. Yes. it's sizes. Not even it's sizeism. It's like you just can't play on the Notre Dame football ableist. team. That's not yeah. even sizes. <laughs> that's like you're just probably not good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, bro. And he wasn't. Yeah. I don't want to hate on Rudy. He was. I mean, he was better than me in football. cars. Well, that's the problem. Is you know, Probably. give all, give everybody a participation trophy, and don't if you don't give them any oh, critiques. So that, no, but if you don't give people any critique, and then they you tell them that they did great and they didn't do oh, great, then they think that their mediocre, lame effort was good because you fucking told them it was good. You have to tell people when what they do isn't good enough, and that happens in the world. What True. You're, you try hard, and sometimes you try your best, and it's just not good enough. There's lots of songs about it. Hey. When you write a paper, sometimes you didn't get the point across because you were high. So young and cute. Doesn't matter. I don't want to make them sad. No, you have to make them sad because otherwise otherwise you give them cognitive dissonance and they think they're good and they're not. It's like telling a tone deaf person that they're great at singing. And then they go out and try out for something and everybody laughs at them and they're like, but I thought I was the best. Yeah, but you got to be super like – you got to be halfway on the spectrum to like really believe that you're good at something that you're just playing. No, no. There, I, I agree. But time and place. Are you not in stand-up comedy? Yeah, no. Okay, you yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. The hundreds okay. of people on the stand-up comedy scene who have no aptitude for this at all. Music's worse. And they keep worse, trying, yeah. trying, and trying. And it's good that they're so trying, but some bad. people don't ever get it. And then eventually they disappear because it's like, Dude. really? Could you spend your time doing something else and stop taking my stage time? You but maybe I'm the one with the cognitive dissonance. Who knows? You never get negative feedback. Yeah, probably. Unless, because it's fucking. It's 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 mean to do it. It's time and place. You know, I when's the right time right to be like, I don't feedback. really like this. <laughs> if anybody gives you feedback, it's usually like, oh, it's so great. I think it's more common with musicians. If you go on, I know you're not on Instagram, but you see these fucking every paid promotion, like every other two posts is some fucking shitty pop rocker who has like regular default fonts on his album cover doing uh-huh. like 
paying $500 to advertise a post because their stuff is bad, you know? I think that there there is there needs to be a time and place to tell someone that like maybe this isn't for you. But how do you turn around after you've committed yeah, your entire but life it's a, to something too? The thing is too? like nobody like even dicks don't want to be that I mean there are a lot of people that do want to be that guy, but normal people like you have to be, you have to fucking pay me to go up to somebody and be like, "Hey fella, you you know the thing you've been dreaming about that like all you do is think about?" It ain't happening, but and so you're garbage at it, and everybody thinks so, and everybody talks yeah. about it behind your back, but they're just too nice to say it. Like you're, that'd be you're right. you're the bad a guy in their documentary. In a context, and so I used to teach school, and in that medium, if someone fucks up, you tell them. But the problem is, you tell a kid they didn't do good enough, and you give them a C minus, and then their parent comes to you and goes, "Now, why did they get a C minus? Because they did this and this." And I'm like, "It's not good enough. Do you want to see the rubric? Do you want to? Do you want to like grade their papers?" But everybody wants to think that their child is perfect, and everyone who writes, the problem is that once you start teaching people that their effort, that their minimal effort is good enough. It fucks everything up because then they don't yeah, ever try hard. They're just lazy pieces of shit. And then we wonder why the world's falling apart and no one wants to do anything because no one wants to do anything. They just want to sit around and play fucking GTA all day or fucking masturbate and think that they're the best. Pam, you Retweet. made your third graders write a paper on Adam Smith, okay? No. It Maybe was, it was the It rubric. was George Orwell, okay? I got to teach the kids about oh the dystopian God. young. Three third grade Al George Hudson. Orwell? No, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I taught – I had 1984. I taught when they were sophomores. Did oh, okay. I fuck. only taught junior high and high school. I never taught kids. Dude, 1984 is something that should be taught. We didn't – that's yeah, something that, that got banned on the book list, All I think, right? Really? Though? No. Yeah, I, we got 1984 is, and Brave New World, which yeah, is like the should. same fucking book. Well, kind of. It, they are, but they're, di- they're both dystopian. My school was teaching like you to be a part no, of the 1984 system. They're totally different because 1984 is Big Brother on the outside looking at you. Yeah. Big Brother – okay, so 1984 is about using fear – to mold people, and Brave New World is about using society and drugs and all of that and happiness to mold people. Because, like, Brave Park New World is all like, that. everybody do drugs <laughs> and be totally numb to everything and go to the feelies and have no connection with anybody and have all of this, whatever you want, whenever you get it. And more, yeah. um, let more stitches, l- less riches, have money, buy things, hand. consume, consume, consume. Centrifugal bumble puppy, more, more, more. Whereas, Whoa. fucking, I'm sorry, I've taught the book, so I know. Centrifugal. Right. No, Centrifugal Bumble Puppy is a game that they play in Brave New World because they have to buy more equipment. And so they make the really dumb people who they make dumb with the um, when they, you know, um, eat pills. They make babies. They, they, they call it decanting. When they decant babies because there's no more birthing, they make them dumb. They make them epsilons and deltas. And they make them wear different colors. But if you're a beta, you're just like a sexy girl. And if you're an alpha, you're a smart guy. Like, it's this thing that they do, and then you get all this stuff. But with Centrifugal Bumble Puppy, you have to buy all of this stuff. So they make the people that love to work, they make them go out and do – anyways, it's – Social conditioning in a dystopian futurescape, except that one side does it with fear and the other side does it with, like, stuff and consumerism and blindness and pretend naivete. Yeah, who reads anyway? And drugs and all that. So (laughs) it's like, that's why they teach those books together, so that you can see. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, I, but I, I, Spark Notes didn't say that for me. You know, all I, I, I read it like very skinny, <laughs> as like a very, is the same kind of dystopian, same English tint, tilt on it too, from two English white guys around the same time. Englishman. I didn't, I didn't understand the, the nuance. You should read it again. I I, those are two of my favorite books. I like reread yeah. them every year with a bunch of other books. Some of the stuff is Anthem. They gave us Anthem in school once, and that was fire. And Rand. Oh. Fire. So I've the only giver? I haven't read that by her yet, Fire. but I do love the Fountainhead, and I do love the other one that I read, Atlas Shrugged or something. Those are the long ones. Holy shit! I I read a lot. Yeah. You read Infinite Jest? 
No, because it's I no. You're not a white I hate dude. That guy. You're not a straight dude. Oh, Who wrote God, Infinite no, He's Jest. a good guy. He's dead now. He killed himself. He's a good guy. He's they all David killed themselves. Uh, yeah, he committed oh, suicide. Yeah, a while ago. He said he was gonna do. Yes, he did. Tell you craft well, an icon, he wrote a especially in writing. I couldn't get into it. I didn't get it. I didn't get that book. It's an emo boy book. Uh, people have told me like you should read the, they're all the emo boys. You should read this book, and I'm like, ugh. Yeah. I, yeah. I read fucking fantasy. Every emo boy's read Infinite Jest. I've read every book except Infinite Jest of Dear Foster Wallace, and that one, that shorter collection of short stories, the uh, supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. That's also not one of his great. He was played by Jason Segal in fucking End of the Tour with Jesse Eisenberg. Have you seen that movie? It's a very end of tour. Oh, end oh, of yeah, tour. yeah, 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 yeah. I have seen yeah. the movie. That's a one. That's, that's David Foster Wallace. Yeah, okay, closing, amazing. closing thoughts. Quick, quick, quick. End of the tour with David Foster Wallace is an amazing movie. Where the sidewalk ends. Oh, is that Shel Silverstein? Yeah. Uh, I I remember reading that as. Was he a pedophile? No. Okay. Good. That's that. You're thinking of uh, some Kurt Carroll. When you hear the trippy music. You know what time it is. I'm so excited. Today is a little bit different. I am pre-recording some Call Me Tim because I have the most exciting interview that I've ever had on Some Call Me Tim. Well, today on Some Call Me Tim, I actually have Wania the bow of season six alone how did that happen oh things happen on netflix and then get into them and then oh you get on facebook and they're real people she's a real person she answered her fan mail because i am a super fan it's hard for me to express i don't want to tell her this stuff because it's weird but she'll hear it on the thing later I'm, I used to be a reality TV junkie. Before I started living like an authentic life that I wanted to live and spent my time the way I thought it should be spent to like make the universe and my universe and the whole situation better, I spent a lot of time watching screens and being really into reality TV. And in my late 20s, early 30s, I would say that it was my main goal in my life to be on a reality TV show. Now I look back at that and I think like, oh, maybe my reasons were a little more vapid or, but this alone show is no joke. If you haven't checked it out on Netflix yet, season six, wow. Like it's people surviving, surthriving, as Sonia will put it on her, uh, alone. They have cameras, their own cameras. Nobody's filming them. They're filming themselves and they're surviving and they're making their own water or food, finding it, building a shelter. It's like crazy, but great, not pejoratively crazy. Like, wow, like superhero stuff. Living the way I would pretend as a child, like in my backyard, like, oh, look what I'm doing. But they're really out there. 73 days. She was out there for 73 days. And I'm watching the show and I'm crying and I'm crying 
and there's all these amazing moments. She's dancing with the sun, and she's squirrel thanking the squirrels and being so grateful to everything she ate and just like and I'm cry I mean oh, it was just it was amazing and she's a woman there were so many women out there and I was so impressed because I just when it started I was like oh three women and she's a feminist superhero and I can't wait to ask her so many questions. She's calling like right now. It's going to happen. It's going to happen like right now. Okay. I'm like, I did this. I started it a little bit early before she called because I was trying to like center myself so I wouldn't fangirl out on like the explanation of alone before I started. For those of you who haven't seen the show, it's not like regular reality TV. Let's put it that way. I mean, it is in that they edited things heavily and I want to ask Winia quite a bit about what they left out and I watched she has a YouTube channel on Buckskin Revolution where you can watch the Alone series and then listen to her as she unpacks each episode um, and says like the things that she could say and couldn't say because I guess they had a, a DNR or something about the show I guess reality TV shows do that you can't release anything before it happens on the TV, but uh, she has her Buckskin Revolution channel that you should check out on YouTube, where she also teaches life skills. There she is, there she is. Okay, 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 okay. Here she is. Okay. Oh, see, I already made a mistake. Hi, Winia. <gasps> Hi, Sam. How are you? I, I already fangirled out a little bit to the audience before you called to like calm myself down and sort of like uh-huh. explain what alone is for maybe some of the people that hadn't seen it. But you're more than alone. Uh-huh. That's the thing, too. I didn't want to just, like, talk about alone today. Hi. Okay, okay. I'm calm. I'm together. <laughs> you're so cool. I'm just, like, over the moon oh, to, like, you. oh. I mean, you didn't even have snare wire, and you caught rabbits. Okay. I know. I actually got a snarky comment on my YouTube channel today about how bad I did and how they couldn't believe I couldn't catch fish in a lake that was teeming with fish. and how bad my trapping was and it's so funny what people think they know about a thing like they didn't really advertise that I don't have snow wires most people have no idea that that was one of the challenges that was going on you had no fish well that's and they mentioned that at some point that each place that they dropped people each campsite is the wrong word each place in the wilderness where you had the opportunity to live they were all different and so some had fish and some had you had uh, squirrels and rabbits and berries. Not everybody had berries, right? Like, I had less berries than most people, I think, actually, because I didn't have much in the way of blueberries. I mean, every site was different, for sure. Yeah, but it wasn't really true that like they all had equal mm. resources. They tried to give them the best, you know, they tried to make it the best swath and distribute the sites as well as possible. But some sites had way more resources than others, for sure. Yeah, well, which would you have... That's the luck of the job. That's the real world. <laughs> right? It's we... not Disneyland. It's the wild. Which, which, uh, which, which site would you have wanted to be on? Watching it after, would you have said, oh, if I would have been there? Did you have even that thought of like, oh, if I would have been in that no. spot? I mean, the thought that had I been in a spot with more resources, mm. I could have done better and stayed longer. But I was in love with the place that I was. And when you're out there, you don't, you have absolutely no idea what 
what other sites are like and what other people have access to. And there's really no point thinking about what you don't have because that doesn't fit you anywhere. Right. Well, but isn't that... What you can do with what you've got. That's a mindset I think that we have in our real lives here all the time is that when we focus on the things that we, that someone else has or that we don't have, and then it creates like suffering and misery that doesn't even need to be there. It's like what we can appreciate our own stuff. Okay. So first I have questions, not about along. Where does your name, where does Wania come from? What is the derivation of your super cool name? Yeah, that's a great question. So the the story of it is um, one that is interesting and not necessarily super cool. Um, So when I was a teenager, um, when I was uh, 19, I went and I did a summer course. There was a backpacking field study. So it was eight weeks backpacking in the mounds of Idaho, which was amazing. And one of the traditions of the course was that everyone take a, a trail name during that time. Um, just to kind of set it aside as a thing separate from your normal life. And so I did that, and I was really interested in ancestral skills and starting to learn more of these life ways that are the things that I'm into now. And I found a book of Lakota stories, and um, Wonia was a name. I wanted something that sounded beautiful and had a beautiful meaning and was something that I really identified with. And um, and so Wonia is a really powerful word that means um, like the life spirit when it's not incorporated in a body, it means the breath of life. And so I took that on as my trail name and after, after going by it for so long, and it was a very, very transformative summer, um, I decided to keep that as my name. And so the, the not pretty part of it is that that's totally cultural appropriation. Oh. And I, you know, I was a young woman and I didn't really have that lens and I didn't understand you know, I had no concept of that or why it might not be a great choice. So um, so that's where Wonia comes from, is from a young woman who just named herself uh, a word from another tradition that wasn't her own. And I do think it's beautiful, and I do really identify with it, and it's not a choice that I would make today. But I've gone by that longer than I went by the name I was given. And also I feel like it's a way to introduce it's the, keeping that name um brings up the conversation yeah. and allows me to talk about the concept of cultural appropriation and just like changing it back would be like uh, letting myself off the hook and pretending that I didn't make an inappropriate choice when I didn't know any better. And it gives me this kind of like this way of addressing such issues from a place of humility as someone who gets it because they've done that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's a great question and it's not, you know, um, yeah, it's not always an easy subject for me to talk about because of that reason. Do you do you feel like you've earned the name now that you have embodied all these ancestral skills? Almost like you could call yourself a, a bunny or a rabbit name at this point because you ate so many. <laughs> like you, you even said on the there was one of the things they actually showed that you're like I'm part rabbit now, <laughs> like I'm or that all of yeah, your cells absolutely. were. So do you feel like through the time that you've spent being like because you have integrity with these skills that you're that you've embodied and then you're, you're living and you're teaching it, does that remove or do you still feel you know, some of that no i don't i don't think that there's any earning a thing that is you know something that i took without permission uh, you know so i mean wow. i think that it's not an inappropriate 
known if you look at it in that way, but if you look at it through the lens of cultural appropriation, I don't think that, you know, that there is anything that just changes. I mean, sure, I think that someone who didn't have a relationship with the skills and wasn't aware of these concepts, maybe it would be a less appropriate thing for, or it would be more harmful for someone else. But I don't feel like that makes it just okay, you know, not unless I had... You know, and, and I and I have spoken to Lakota people about this too. So it's not I'm completely without relationship to Lakota people. Um, but you know, yeah, that's no, a I can't. Of people who are all going to have really different opinions about it. So, but it's, <laughs> it's not it's for an, me to say whether or not I earned it. I guess is the is the bottom line. It's an appropriate. It's an important conversation. Like, because since we're in this crazy time of. I mean, what's happening with our world right now? There's so, but to even just to recognize a situation, it's like for me in white guilt, like I have to constantly come up against it and say, yeah, I'm, oh, did I lose you? I lost you. You're back. I know. Sorry about that. No, I hey, it's all good. cell phone here, so. <laughs> and you're out, in, you're up there in the mountains in Grass Valley. Okay, so here's my next question. How are you friends with a giant okay. cat? <laughs> The, the profile shot? Yeah, the, the picture the, the of the... the you're, looking at the you're looking mm-hmm. into the eyes of this enormous cat. I, I'm a cat person. I'm a crazy cat lady. Like, mm-hmm. I love cats. And I saw that picture. I'm like, how are you friends with a giant cat? And that's actually a pretty small bobcat as they go. It's um, <laughs> large, large compared to house cats. But that was a cat that had been hit on the road. Oh. Um, so that cat was no longer alive. Oh, really? I thought you were looking deeply yeah. into the eyes of a cat. See, look at me. I completely I misinterpreted the picture. You were. I mean, I was doing that. Yeah. yeah. That, that's all still true. So... And, and so for me, when I was watching you, I was so affected and I kept like kind of putting myself where you were. It was so, oh, it was so incredible because you're filming yourself and it's like so intimate because it was almost like I was with you and that's got to be weird right. for you. And I'm wondering how like that affected you with the camera and the intimacy. But also when I was watching you, I kept thinking I could never... And you, there were times where you'd pick up an animal and look at it and be like, thank you, thank you, thank you for feeding me. And and you had to be like intimate with that animal and pull off its skin and do all that stuff. Is that, I mean, how do you do that? I, I, I Maybe I'm just so removed from survival and life that like I just couldn't imagine... I mean, I was watching you do it, and that was hard for me. Like, I, when I saw Jordan with the Wolverine, and I saw his little face and his teeth, and I was like, I'm making myself watch this. But, like, how did, was that interacting with you? With Were you just so grateful for the food that it wasn't, or that's just not freaky for you? It's just not freaky for me. That's been a part of my life for a really long time. You know, I've raised my own meat animals. Um, you know, and I was vegetarian and vegan at one point. So I was, like, very anti-hunting and PETA and vegetarian in high school. Um, but once I started being introduced to ancestral skills, and, you know, I went right from being vegan to processing and eating roadkill. Wow. Um, and, I'm, you know, I have a science background and a deep connection with animals, and it's never... It has never felt like a juxtaposition to me mm. to love and feel connected to a wild creature and to, you know, skin it and break down its body for food and eat it. That is the most natural thing in the world to me. And to me, the barriers that our society puts up and the, the removal 
from our food source, that's what feels weird and wrong to me. Um, so yeah, it certainly was not an issue for me out there and nor in my life in general. See, I, um, I, I cook. One of the things I do for a living is I, I, I cook. I have no problem if an animal has no head. Like I can, I've processed so many <laughs> birds. I've deboned so many birds in my time. Like it's, but if they have a head, I can't do it. And, and I think maybe it must be something to do with the way I was raised. And I was so far removed. Even when I am working with a food source, I'm still removed from it, even when it's whole. So right. Uh, it's, talk a little bit about Buckskin Revolution and what you're doing to try to create that connection again with people and the way we should. I don't want to say should be living our lives. That's weird. But the way we did for thousands of years and then it's just this little tiny little bit here at the end where we're so removed from it exactly right yeah um so yeah i mean you've kind of you've hit the nail on the head there that my work with buckskin revolution is to kind of um invite people back into that place of connection not just with the world around them um but with our own selves with our human communities and with with our ancestry as humans and what it is that we evolved to do. And absolutely, the bodies that we live in evolved over the course of hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years, to, to allow us to engage deeply with the world around us. And it's only been a few hundred years that that's completely shifted to where we no longer need a lot of these senses that we evolved with. And I think that you know, the malaise that we see in our modern society and so many people who are unsatisfied and, you know, dealing with depression and feel like there's something missing from their lives. I believe that that is because we are living lives that are so different from what we evolved to do. And that does, you know, that does leave a feeling of something missing. You know, we have all of these amazing sensory perceptions that are about engaging with the world around us. And instead we engage with screens, you know, 12 inches from our faces and we fill our senses with noises. And, you know, like right now there's a helicopter overhead and I can hear the highway and, you know, my ears evolved to the frequency of bird song and knowing what's going on in the forest around me through paying attention to what the birds are doing. And, um, yeah, I think that the degree to which we engage those skills, those senses, those parts of our body, you know, just our hands in, in fashioning things that we need for our lives, there's something deeply fulfilling about that, you know, on a level that we don't even really know how to verbalize. Um, and Crafting, well, that, it's that's making... That's what I'm trying to share. When, when humans, I mean, we as humans, all we really have is the ability to create things right either thought or stuff and I feel like and watching you craft it uh, that was the thing okay so at the beginning of the show they don't show you for like two weeks and I get it it's a reality right. tv show and they had to show the people that were going to break their leg and get kicked off and they had to show their stories a little <laughs> bit because they were leaving and you were going to be there forever but all those things that we didn't get to see like you were just sitting on the ground weaving baskets for two weeks or like what was because you were, I mean, obviously you were doing things. You were. There's a lot going on in those first couple of weeks. Yeah. So it was all like um, building your amazing shelter, which was like the best shelter. I was like, I want to live there. That's. <laughs> it was. It looked warm and snug and like a real little house, but you were like mm-hmm. literally crafting all the time. Yeah, I mean, when you weren't looking uh, for well, food. There's or... all kinds of things. I mean, it's it's hard to sum up. It was a huge time. You know, I mean, it starts off 
with the most important thing that you can be doing is, yeah, getting your shelter set and then starting to, to key into your environment and where the food sources are and strategizing how you're going to avail yourself of those. So the, that was what, you know, my first couple of days were scouting my site and deciding where to set up my shelter and um, being sure that I was in the best possible location and then starting to build. And, you know, we, we had snow on day three. Oh. So it was full on from the very beginning. And so I was constantly in this place of trying to balance food, resources, and shelter. And, you know, when I woke up covered in snow, obviously that's going to nudge me to prioritize shelter um, for that day. Um, but always trying to hold both of those things and um, – Certainly the first few days were more focused on shelter for me because I knew that my body still had a lot of calories in it because yeah. we had been gorging up until we left. So I knew that my system had as much energy, you know, at the very beginning as I was likely to have. Um, and so I wanted to really focus on shelter at first while I knew I still had those, those you know, glycogen stores in my liver. Um, <laughs> wow. And, um, but by day four, I started hitting fishing really hard. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, um, doing, you know, doing a lot more focus on fishing until it became increasingly clear that I was not in a location that had fish. Right. Um, you just, had very, very shallow water. That must have been so frustrating that you crafted all those lures and you were out there and just sitting for hours I mean were you listening to the birds like <laughs> did you <laughs> you just I mean I was doing it no <laughs> I was constantly constantly active oh. doing everything I possibly could to improve my situation every daylight hour and well into the night by headlamp there was no downtime and listening to birds okay um, you know, <laughs> but that, like the... that's something that I was doing as I was doing everything oh, else gotcha. you know like part of my awareness would be there but um but no constantly you How... know bringing in firewood, working on the shelter, you know, strategizing new ways to, to try to make fishing happening, finding, you know, scouting the landscape and seeing whether there were any other better places for fishing, going, you know, making a moose call and going into the woods and calling moose. I mean, I was, I was splitting my strategy between fishing and bringing in moose, but, that, and, you know, you were asking like, what were the resources that I had? My site was very resource scarce compared to a lot of the other sites. I didn't have big game you know I was hoping for problems with bears because I had a bow 45 pound <laughs> bow and broadheads and I would have been thrilled to have bears sniffing around my camp and that happened with a lot of other people but that's not you know I was on a narrow rocky peninsula with no fish and no big game and really actually very scarce small game because it was you know mostly bear rocks right um, I, so in terms of, you asked earlier in terms of resources somewhere like Jordan's area where he had fish and big game and a ton of small game. I mean, he was in an area that had been burned a couple years before, which means there's a ton of vegetation regrowth. It's one of the most abundant sites that, you know, that you can possibly have. Um, and mine, in contrast, was a bare rocky peninsula surrounded by shallow water. Right, so, with where you yeah. got to... Now, here's another question I have. Uh, what's your dance background? And I was so bummed that they only showed you once <laughs> with your... Because I, I watched all of your YouTubes after, and you're like, I was dancing every night I had a dance party until the last week. and um, Not every night. Once a week. Once, once a, week. a week. Oh, okay. But you sang the sun yep. up every morning. I, I sang the sun down you every evening. You sang the sun down. Um, yeah. But these were rituals. I sang the sun up a lot of mornings, but not every morning, because okay. mornings were a lot more challenging, frankly. What, was it just, it was so <laughs> maybe cold? maybe all the more reason. Was it getting out of bed was just yeah, so difficult? Yeah, it was cold. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> as time went on, things just, you know, like starving for weeks on end um, and really, really cold temperatures and not sleeping well because generally when one is um, really undernourished and in ketosis, it tends to affect your sleep patterns. Um, so, so yeah, but getting out of a sleeping bag into minus 20 degrees oh. and you haven't had anything to eat for weeks is challenging. Yeah. So, I'm, and my voice is a little more croaky in the morning, so... <laughs> Wow. So my singing right, practice singing, is more sure. consistent in the evenings than in the morning. And but these were rituals. So this is kind of goes back to the ancestral thing. So you were creating rituals for yourself out there, and is that what like helped keep you grounded? And then like what what would, what did you find? Cause I also you also made ancestral plates. Like you said that when you were cooking your food, you were like, how did I don't want to like say like how did that witchy stuff help you but I, I mean I'm into it too so but you were you were performing all of these rituals how did that like bolster your attitude and your how you were spending out there because I didn't see anybody else like doing rituals like that yeah I mean you know I think that um I think that ritual has a certain connotation which isn't necessarily how I would describe it. I mean, I think that has a lot of connotations, some that fit and some that don't. But I would say, yeah, I mean, definitely I wove into my life a lot of practices that reminded me to be coming from a place of gratitude and connection. Um, I just, you know, like I, I've posted videos about making blood pudding and have some people say that I'm like doing satanic practices <laughs> or something. So I'm leery around the term ritual sure, because sure, people sure. can take that and sure. run with it all kinds of weird places. Um, right. Well, so you're anyway, like a celebrity yeah, now, I, so you you have to you do have to watch what. No, seriously, because words of people. That's I'm not sure the word I would use necessarily, but I have a higher profile than I used to. Millions of people have seen you, like certain, sure. and all of yeah, the skills that. I mean, do you feel like this was the this is what you've been working your whole life for? Like all of your skills came to fruition for this time. That you were able to survive. I mean, not just for that time, for, for similar things. For all time. It definitely felt like a fruition of a lot of things, but it, I don't like to think of it as like an end goal because then what, what do you have after an end goal? <laughs> right, sure. So, yes, it was definitely a culmination of, um, of things that have been a huge part of my life for decades. Um, yeah, but I hope that it's not the last time oh, no. that I get to use all of those skills that I'm sure you're using the skills right now. Um, so back, I didn't, a dance background. So were you a dancer as a child? Because you. No, not at all. Um, I mean, I am someone who, lo- I mean, I guess, yes, I got dragged to ballet at four and, you know, did somersaults and tutus and such. But that's the, that's the sum total of my dance background. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who loves dancing and have taken, you know, I have taken different dance classes, but um, mostly just free form, um, you know, like five rhythms and ecstatic dance and that kind of thing. Um, I wouldn't say it's a background, but just something that's a part of who I am and something that I really love. Rad. I just, uh, yay. Um, okay, so I have all of these questions about cameras. Did they train? Okay, so mm-hmm. it was a crazy show to watch because it was beautifully shot. And I know that some of it was be real and like they are a show and they, mm-hmm. they're doing what they do. But the majority of the and they stuff... they go over sites with drones occasionally and that kind of thing. So they do, you know, bolster what we do. But you are your own camera person, which I don't... It took me yeah. a while to realize that. I'm like, so do the camera crew... I kept thinking, like, the camera crew gets lunch, like, while they're starving. That's 
inhumane. That's terrible. But then I realized, like, wait, 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 no. No, there, no there's no camera There's crew. no one there. No, right, no, it, it's actually literal. I mean, the show is called Alone for a reason. Yeah. It's quite literal. Yeah. I just didn't believe it at the beginning, and then I'm like, okay, this is real. So did they t- teach you how to use camera, or did they tell you, like, what shots they wanted yes. you to do or where? Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a big part of the prep before going out is, um, is yeah, the, the camera training. And that happens also in the selection process. Um, you know, when they, they, they had, for my season, I think they had 20,000 applicants Whoa. on a loan. Um, and then, and, and I didn't apply, they, they called me. Um, and so, you know, I kind of got a, got a leg up in that whole process, but, um, but then they narrow those 20,000 down to 20, in my case, 22 people. And then they bring us out to New York for a week to do a bunch of different assessments, um, skills assessments, you know, physical tests, psychological tests. And in that they do a bunch of camera training. And then they're also, um, I think they're also really paying attention to see who cares to dive into the camera training and who's actually really um, prioritizing learning the camera skills because you can have all of the survival skills in the world but if you're not that interested in shooting well then they don't have a show right you know? so very important that um that they select people who care to do a good job with the camera training which you know i did yeah um, i mean so, it was beautiful it was beautifully yeah. shot and even like when you're i guess kept thinking like how much time are you spending with the camera because the sun is going down and you're chipping through this ice and it's 18 inches thick and you didn't have the axe. You had your cool thing that you chopped the trees down with and and you're just going and going and going. And I was like, how much time did the camera take to set up? And then you have to take it home and well, all these and other that, like... Yeah, and that's, that's a huge component. And honestly... You know, I would do it differently now than I did then. I was very, very invested. I mean, really the reason why, and there were a lot of different reasons why I decided to do alone, but a big part of it for me wasn't, you know, it wasn't about the competition. It would have been great to win on some level, sure. And there were some levels where I didn't actually think that winning would be the thing. Um, But one of my main goals was to demonstrate a different way of approaching survival than what one usually sees on these shows. And, you know, it usually tends to be about like competition and coming from this very antagonistic place with the natural world. And like, Mm. you know, it's me versus nature. And, you know, even one of the shows is called man versus wild, you know, and that is the polar opposite to my perspective and how I wanted to be out there. So for me, it was the opportunity to share my perspective with the world stage and knowing that the, you know, the better I did, the more I, the more I proved that going about things from a place of connection and reciprocity rather than domination and, you know, competition is a viable strategy, is a viable strategy for survival. So, um, because that was such a goal of mine, I really took a lot of time with the filming, and that was a huge part. I would say half of my daylight hours and, you know, calories and time and energy went to getting really good shots. Wow. And it, would, it would affect what I did, you know. I would choose to do things, like I would process my animals during the day, during the daylight hours, so I could get really good footage of it, when for me, practically speaking, it would be way better for me to leave that animal in my shelter and do it at night because there are tons of things I can be doing out on the land when the sun is out that I can't do in the dark. And the sun was only out for four hours a day by the time I left. So every daylight hour was so huge. And yet I sacrificed a lot of them to get the good camera angles and to set up the good shots and do the good filming. And then 
it was so disappointing to watch the show and see that like way less than one percent of the things oh. I filmed made it onto the show. And I could have done so. I, I could probably have had twice as much food if I had had twice as much time. Oh. Well, honestly, I'm not sure that that's true because my spot was so resource scarce. But you know, I could have done much better in terms of the survival aspect had I not put so much energy towards filming really well. Um, so, you know, I don't want to say that anything is a regret because it was the most amazing experience I've ever had. And had I shifted some things, then maybe other things that I can't know now would have shifted and that would have been a bummer. But I would do it differently in terms of so much time and attention towards filming well if I was to do it again. How many hours a day did they ask you to film? Because we were, we were asked to film absolutely everything we did. Wow. So what did they give you batteries so we had every legally time? Require that. So we had we had a way to recharge our own batteries. We had a big like essentially like a big car battery uh-huh. um, that we could recharge some of the batteries ourselves. But then they would also give us a ton of batteries when they came to do medical Med checks. checks. That's and then figured. also early on when they weren't doing medical checks and when the lake wasn't frozen, they would. Um, they would do what they called blind drops or we would have a dry bag and we would leave our dead batteries and our SD cards with our footage on the shore in a dry bag and they would come by with the boat and grab that bag and replace it with a bunch of fresh batteries. So and, we, but they wouldn't you know, talk they never to wanted us to be without batteries. Of course. No, no, like... we, we didn't even see the boat. We weren't supposed to be anywhere near shore when they did that. They would let us know, okay, we're doing a blind drop today. Don't be anywhere on shore, you know, between this hour and this hour. So did you look forward to med checks just because they were people, like when they started happening? Or was it like, oh, med checks, I don't want to, I don't want to know? Or No, I didn't. I didn't really look forward to them. I felt like it really interrupted my routine. I mean, oh. one thing is that a day with a med check was kind of a lost day oh, in terms right. of food no gathering daylight. because they would give me a window when they, when they were coming, but they didn't know when exactly. So I couldn't be that far from my shelter. And my trap lines were a good ways away from my shelter. Yeah. Um, and so... It meant, it meant losing a ton of time. It meant, like, stripping. I mean, they weighed me. I had to strip down in the freezing cold, you know. Um, and it just, when you're so adjusted to being out there on your own, like, I wasn't lonely. I was loving it. I, like, really had this beautiful um, connection and solitude and, um, you know, having a helicopter land and a whole bunch of people come out and, you know, poke and prod you and ask you a bunch of questions. It's very disruptive and it was a whole different energy. And it took me a while after they left to kind of get back to my serenity after everything being so stirred up in this whole different type of interaction. Um, so I know I did not look forward to the medical. I mean, I really had a deep connection with a lot of the people um, who were coming with the film crew. Like, I really appreciated them as people. And so it's not like I didn't enjoy the interaction when they were there. Right. But it was still so disruptive that I would rather have not had it. And towards the end, you know, I was having medical checks a lot more often because I was dangerously underweight. And I knew they were very, very concerned about me. So I had the fear of being pulled up you know, all the time. Um, right. I got my first warning that I was on medical alert on day 40. Whoa. So 33 more days, I was out there wondering when I was going to get pulled and having medical checks way too often that were very disruptive and actually really um, affected my ability to bring in food a lot. So it's like, yeah. you're underweight, so we're going to check you more often. And it's like, well, the more that you check me, the more underweight I'm going to get because that's the whole day that I lose a lot of my trapping capacity. Uh, how far, you said you're, Traps were a ways away, like a mile. I'm just trying to think calorie wise. No, no. no uh, not that far. 
I mean, it changed all the time. You know, okay. I had different trap lines set up. I was constantly, I mean, every day I was checking and resetting because I had fishing line and not snare wire. Fishing line rabbits can chew through in, you know, oh, half a yeah. second. So I was constantly, constantly having to take down and reset up other snares. And, you know, the rabbits would be onto me if I had set up a bunch that they had just nipped off in one area, they would stop using that area. So I had to constantly be exploiting other areas and, you know, so there was no set trap line that was there all the time. It was, you know, constant strategizing and shifting up what I was doing. How so many? Sometimes, I don't know, probably as far as half a mile, okay. but not, not a whole mile away. And, you know, I, my territory, you don't know how big your zone is. You know, you're not, they have boundaries you're not allowed to cross, but it's not like they're marked, you know, this is way out in the wilderness. So the way that I would know is if I got a little blip on my gps device what um and then let's talk about so, the beavers oh oh i saw the thing when you talked about the beavers i want to talk about the beavers so when everything finally freezes <laughs> up and you're like all right i'm gonna go get those beavers and you get over to the beavers you can't get to dang beavers and then the frozen river and the beeping and the leaving that was crazy so yeah, did you? That was, was that the first time that you felt? <laughs> was that the first time you felt real fear, or were there other moments where you were like, "I could die right now"? Was that the only moment that was at like the end of your journey, and you were like, "Whoa"? Yeah, that was the only moment. Really, sure. you yeah. never felt any like mm -hmm. that was a kind of fear that like I can imagine. It's like inside, you're like the pit of your being is like, "Oh, whoa, we need to." Be well, and the thing with that frozen here. river was, yeah, I mean, that was like, I never felt any threats from the outside. Like being on the river, that was my own fault. You know, <sighs> that was, that was my own poor choices right in that moment. So I didn't really have anything. So I felt fear, but I also felt like shame at like, wow, that was a really stupid choice. You just really put yourself in jeopardy. Um, but that was the only moment. No, I really, you know, I, I understand that it maybe should have been scary and um, that it would be for a lot of people, but I felt so seen and held and wanted by that place. I just really didn't feel like there was anything out there that wished me harm. And even, you know, I mean, I was out there on top of that frozen river because I'd been following wolf tracks um, across the ice and, you know, wolves are big predators, but I, you know, I didn't feel like I was in any danger, which is not true. You know, like something could have decided that I was an even, uh, you know, a, an easy meal. But even so, I mean, my deepest desire was to be a deep part of that landscape. And that is part of, that is part of living wild and wild systems. And so in that way, I mean, I'm sure that had I been attacked by a wolf in the moment, it would have been very scary. But, you know, better was to go out that way as part of a beautiful interaction in a wild place than to get taken out in a car accident sure. you know did you have an so, arrow knocked so i wasn't did you have an arrow knocked uh, when you were on walking that, no i didn't have an arrow knock i'm trying to remember if i even had my bow with wow. me i probably did because i brought my bow everywhere but no i definitely didn't have an arrow knock because you were I just walking and having my bow with me on that trip you were just yeah, experiencing I mean, you the know, beauty of the place. It's not that common for wolves to take out people and especially in an environment where they don't see people it's not like we're on the menu it would be an unusual right. animal that's like what is this thing i've never seen before i guess i'll figure it out by eating it you know <laughs> generally that's there would be a curiosity you know the place where you see problem animals is places where humans have been encroaching into wild places a lot and affecting wild animals ability to get game 
you know, like bears attacking people. That happens usually in like campgrounds and such yeah. and places where they're used to associating humans with food. Um, so, yeah, I mean, which is not to say that, you know, that they mightn't be motivated that way, but <laughs> it just wasn't. I didn't feel in my gut that I was in danger in those ways. Right. So just from yeah, the I had one water. moment when I was coming back. Yeah, just from standing on top of water, you know, of, of ice that was way thinner than it should have been to me be standing on top of a frozen river. I just didn't realize. And for the, for the you know, listening audience right now, what she's referring to is a night pretty far out. I think it was night 70, maybe 69 or 70. Um, I, I had hiked out across the ice. I was way out of my bounds. I didn't realize that because the GPS signals and satellite signals are um, really bad out there. So the message telling me that I was way out of bounds didn't come until I was already far out. Um, but it was kind of dusk. I couldn't really, you know, the light was starting to go. And I was in this area on this lake, which is this huge lake, um, where the ice was starting to be uh, not flat, but kind of bubbled. And I was curious about it. And I thought that it must have been, you know, vegetation or something. And I didn't realize until I was already pretty far out that the reason why it wasn't flat there is because it's actually a, a river. And so it was like the bubbling flow of the river that had frozen and it was not very thick ice. And um, because that's what happens, ice that's on top of flowing water doesn't, doesn't freeze very quickly. So it's a really dangerous, really sketchy place to be. And I just, you know, and I've that it was so enthralled it was by dusk. following these wolf tracks. The, the dust, yeah, so you, they couldn't they have come to help me. They couldn't have flown the helicopter. They, yeah, they wouldn't have. Not been that able. they could have gotten there. I mean, if I had gone through ice on top of a fast-moving frozen river, there would have been nothing they could do. I would have been stuffed <sighs> under the ice anyway, and <gasps> the helicopter would have been a non-issue. <laughs> when I knew that, you know, that's that was that's the you know I've done a lot of wilderness trips in my day and I've never in my life had a button I could push for someone to come save me so (laughs) that wasn't really part of my reality out there like I knew that everything I was doing was a calculated risk and that you know the chance of rescue was a pretty remote one so that that didn't figure into my thinking out there um that's why you're a superhero you're fearless Um, you're a fearless feminist (laughs) superhero I'm not fearless but that those aren't the things that I'm most afraid of I guess well, okay, so let's switch gears. What are the top five most beautiful things you saw up there that you could, there's probably got to be more than five, mm. but that you hadn't sure. seen in any of your wilderness journeys that you were just so majestic that that they didn't show on the show? I mean, they showed a lot of the Northern Lights, and I kept being like, is that, that's crazy. Those are, wow. Um, they are crazy. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that area, Yellowknife, um, in the Northwest Territories, is um, a worldwide destination for Northern Lights tourism. I mean, the streets are awash with tourists um, who come there to watch the Northern Lights. So, yeah, all that footage was very real. Uh, so, yeah, the Northern Lights definitely, I, I'd seen Northern Lights before. Um, I'd lived in Northern Ontario for a brief time um, and seen some pretty spectacular Northern Lights there. But, yeah, that was those were really, really amazing. Um, the night that I was out on the ice, the night that they showed the footage of where I was trying to get through the ice and realizing that it, in the course of the couple days that I hadn't been out on the ice because there'd been a really intense storm, a really intense storm that drops the temperature about 20 degrees with just whipping winds. And that storm, the ice went from about four inches thick to about you know 18 to 24 inches thick. Um, so I had been able to get through the ice 
with the same technique I was using before that, and then all of a sudden there was no way. But that ice, that that, that night, that sunset was the most epically beautiful, awe-inspiring evening of my entire life. And it was really frustrating to me that what they showed instead was me failing to get through the ice, and they inserted bleats. I'm fairly certain I wasn't actually cussing. Um, I don't know for sure. Maybe I was. But they, but they made it look like a hardship, and it was one of the most amazing nights in my life, such that like I just fully surrendered after that and was like, if they pick me up tomorrow... I don't care because I got to have this night out on the ice. It was this experience where I was out there and the ice was completely scoured clean to just a mirror surface from this really intense storm we had had for days and days with heavy winds and, you know, like scouring the ice with snow. Um, And the sun was going down and because the storm was just clearing, there were a lot of clouds. So the color was really intense and the sky was just this amazing hot pink orange you know beautiful colors and then i'm standing on this ice that is so smooth that it's reflecting the sunset back at me so it's like i'm standing in the middle of the sunset you know i'm completely surrounded by sunset colors everywhere and then the night was just so gorgeous once i figured out that i couldn't get through that ice i just decided to go further out onto the lake and just revel in it and i got further out into the ice in an area where the the pressure of the ice freezing so fast had cracked the surface of the lake so it's all of these different pieces of ice that had all been kind of pushed up by the pressure of the cracking and so they were all of these little pieces that were all sitting at a different angle to the sky so each one was catching a different color like superman and and reflecting that back at me it was yeah yeah only sunset superman ice cave sunset time so epically unbelievable and then as i'm out there on the ice the moon is rising oh. and it's like exactly half of a moon and exactly vertical. So that's rising up over the island as this amazing, it was just the most amazing experience of my entire life. And, you know. Why I mean, didn't they show like that? You must. with beauty. Do you get to keep the footage? Well, because they want to show the drama. No, no, you don't get it. You put footage. the footage. Well, honestly, can't... I didn't bring the cameras oh. out there. <gasps> I mean, I did take footage. No, I did take footage of the moon rising, but when I went out to where there was the puzzle pieces, I left the camera set up by that hole, and I just wandered out by myself, which I wasn't really supposed to do. But it was, like, too epic and amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. Um, you know, they could have showed. But there was a lot of footage of it. There just wasn't the footage of the, like, me on the puzzle piece part of the ice right. um but because that's not you know they're trying to build the drama and this is the last couple of days and so they're trying to pitch this like you know battle to the end between me and jordan and um you know so just the beauty and wonder um most of my most epic moments i took great footage of but they didn't show um, I they should give i also you that had a, a moment yeah yeah they don't they don't do that um it would jeopardize their show i think is their their perspective on it so yeah those were those were i mean i could go on there are a bunch of them but um oh, more beautiful <laughs> moments no no <laughs> please mm-hmm. what, what are your other epic like things that were i mean because that's oh, there are so many you can yeah, just pick a random one um, the, the whole place yeah okay so so one moment that was really really profound early on um I mean, the whole thing was that, like, early on when we first launched, it was, you know, we had just been having our first intense frost, um, so everything was changing. The leaves were all changing, so this 
super, super stark landscape, you know, it's huge lake that's like a steel gray most of the time and mostly bare rock, you know, this really amazing granite and huge towering cliffs, you know, vertical cliffs. And the whole landscape is so enormous. You can't even begin to wrap your mind around it. So like this super stark landscape with these amazing just flame colors of fall, you know, and I had this moment after being out there for, you know, going on a couple weeks and not bringing in any food besides just a couple handfuls of berries and recognizing that rather than feeling weaker and weaker, I'm feeling better and better. And there was just this moment where I realized that I was shifting on a physiological level to where I was learning to be fed by beauty instead of by food. And just that, like, that all hitting me in one moment, standing on this rocky precipice, looking out over this landscape, looking out over this lake, and recognizing that even though I'm starving and I don't know how long I can keep going on starving, like, there's no place in the world I would rather be or anything I would rather be doing in that moment. And just that epic beauty being so profound that it just brought tears to my eyes. You know, I just, like, there's no way to hold all of the emotion in my body and it just came through in the form of tears um, and recognizing that like I could I could live on beauty now and I could do that for a really long time and had every intention of doing so so that was a really profound moment um, I had a moment where I was at my cabin working on it and heard and heard a big kerfuffle of birds you know like I, I was really keyed into birds out there um, and I knew their patterns, and so I could tell that there was something unusual happening. And um, and going out to where I heard this and seeing this kind of a classic bird language moment, which was all of these birds in a shape that we call in bird language a parabola around the top of this tree and looking in the top of that tree and seeing a huge um, predatory bird up there, uh, a northern goshawk, I believe it was, which is specifically an avian predator. They're, they take out birds, and so there's something that birds really react to. So having that moment of, like, being keyed in enough to the landscape to think something's going on, something big is happening, and then going out there and finding the source of it and getting to see this amazing bird that I've never seen before in my life, that was a really profound one. Um, I had a really profound encounter with a fox um, that was really beautiful, um, yeah, I mean, seeing tracks, seeing wolverine tracks. You know, I'd never seen wolverine tracks. Seeing lynx tracks, that was amazing. Wolf tracks, I mean, all of these wildlife encounters that were creatures that I haven't had the opportunity to live in the territory of before. So, and even though the lynx tracks and the wolverine tracks were, like, dogging my track line and potentially major competitors for my food, it was still so amazing to see that, that it, it felt worth it. You know? And so you never, um, it sounds like you just didn't feel alone at all. <laughs> like you were interacting. How could I? So I was surrounded deeply. by life. Yeah, that it was. Yeah. It, it's like a completely different journey than other people took. Did the camera help Apparently, you? Apparently, which I didn't realize until watching it. Yeah, you know, like, that, that, I had no idea how different my journey was to other journeys until I was watching the show and thinking, "Oh my God, I had the time of my life!" And these people are out here experiencing the exact same conditions in the exact same place and suffering so hard right that was a really profound realization for me just how I mean I knew what a big difference attitude made and and like we talked about you know like a lot of my preparations were strategizing routines for myself to help me stay in a place of connection and gratitude but it wasn't until watching other journeys you know other folks on my same season that I really got on a deeper level how profound a difference 
that was. It must have it must have killed you to watch Jordan sit there and complain and be like, "Oh, I'm starving with 200 pounds of moose." <laughs> Look at this. I thought that was so funny, but it didn't... I mean, my interpretation of it wasn't that he was complaining as much as that the show was choosing to ah. take those moments out of his footage okay. to make it seem like he and I were neck and neck. Right. Um, so you know, I have enough experience in knowing how many things I filmed and the things that they chose to show of my things in a way that misrepresented my journey that I believe that that is what they were doing with with him too. Not misrepresented, but just, you know, picking and choosing to get a certain impression. Right, to Um, get the story that they wanted. I knew that Jordan was nowhere near as poorly off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they're, I mean, they are, it is a TV show and they are creating a story. Did you, did the camera become like a friend to you? Did you, when you were, Oh, absolutely. So it was like, because it feels like, you're talking to me when I'm watching, you're talking to us mm-hmm. or, you know, the audience. Yeah, no, I was very aware of that. And, you know, and I don't know how different the sense of isolation would have been if I didn't have that relationship with the camera. I mean, and again, so much of my intention was around showing something beautiful to the world. That was a big part of my mission. And so in that way, I engaged with the audience perhaps more than other folks might have because I wanted to draw you in. I wanted, you know, I know that a lot of these shows, kind of what they do is like, look at this person and all their survivor skills. and They're such a badass, and, you know, and like put you on a pedestal. pedestal. And that, that's not what I wanted. I wanted the viewers to identify with me and see themselves out there yeah. and doing the same thing and give them that experience. And so I engaged with the camera in that way. And, and you know, to me, the camera was an audience that I was talking to. And I think that that did a lot for my, you know, mental health out there because while I knew that obviously you weren't actually there and interacting with me and it wasn't in real time, I also knew that I was going to be sharing this. And so that kept me feeling like I was still part of human community as well as the wild community out there, even though it wasn't actually true at the time. Um, and so, yeah, so you, the camera, you know, it was a mixed blessing. Obviously, it was where a lot of my time and energy went, and a lot of that felt wasted because they showed so little of my footage. But at the same time, the camera absolutely was a companion yeah. and um, kept me aware of the companionship of the whole world of humans that were out there and eventually going to be sharing this with me. And you shared a lot of really personal stuff. I was um, specifically very connected to when you were talking about the money versus not the money and what do you want to do and the self-care on those last days. And you were talking about what you would do with the money and that you've made relationships, you've made choices for your career and for your life that haven't included other things that you would consider like adopting. And all of that whole monologue section, I was just like, wow. I felt like, oh, same thing. The sacrificing of femininity to, to try to get ahead in a certain way and then you look back and you're in your 40s and it's like what did I do I don't have a kid anyway I don't know if that's where you're coming but that's what I felt from it like and I felt that for me I was like oh god I'm 45 I'm 45 and look at my choices and I'm not gonna have a kid and wouldn't it be great to adopt but I don't have the money to do that and like how do you share with the world and feel like you have things to share and then there are choices that you made so those aren't the opportunities that you get and Etc. So I felt like really connected to that. And then also when you're talking about your mom and all that stuff and your childhood, and I know they put that into, you know, create a character for you. Um, but do you mm-hmm. feel like the character that they put out, does that 
do you feel represented? Do you feel like they got you? Or do you feel like, well, they tried? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the things that you're referring to, yes. And it's interesting because I still was really, so there's a bunch, a bunch to say about that. One is that they really encouraged us to be really vulnerable and talk about, you know, what was true for us emotionally. And part of my choice to do that was, was that. And I think that you often see people, you know, a lot of things up for people and processing a lot of your life choices. And that was true for me too. But also it was particularly specific advice of one friend who is a friend who has done the show before. I actually have a lot of friends who have done this because those are kind of the circles that I, that I move in. And he told me, you know, like, this journey is so intense that you it's really hard to do just for yourself and you want to find something you know a goal that's about someone that you love or something that you love or are really attached to to make the journey bigger than yourself and and so that's part of what prompted that conversation was my looking to that and certainly in terms of finances you know I'm a person who has chosen to live under the poverty line for most of my life because I've just always prioritized different things. I've prioritized freedom and, you know, being able to have wild adventures over financial security and that's fine. But one of the goals that would make, you know, pushing it to get a bunch of money worth it would be something like being able to adopt because again, you know, I wanted a family so bad for so much of my life and have had a lot of angst around that not happening at the same time it feels representative of like my life before alone and not as much now because I had a lot of time to think about and process those choices while I was out there and recognizing that like I'm so grateful to have the life that I have and the opportunities that I've had and had I had a family I probably wouldn't have gone out on a loan and <laughs> that was the most amazing experience of my entire life and I wouldn't trade it for anything yeah. right now and you know so I made those choices from the authentic place that I was in when those choices were up for me so how would I go back and change that now so I processed a lot of my regrets while I was out there and so when I came back out and saw that footage, I was thinking, that doesn't represent me. Mm. But the truth is that it did represent me at one time, just not as much anymore because things have shifted. And I would also say that I'm, I'm someone who has dealt with a lot of sorrow and angst around not having had a family, but I don't think that I am a person who really, like I'm a person with a very positive forward-thinking attitude and not someone who tends to go into like woe-is-me places. Right. And so I feel like focusing on that maybe painted me a little bit more in that light. Um, but it definitely, I mean, anyone who knows me know that, knows that it's true that, like, not having had a family has been one of my major sorrows in life. So that's accurate. The part that really bothered me that feels less accurate is when they talked about um, they, they did some, uh, some careful editing mm. to create some sentences that I didn't actually speak. Wow. And that was really frustrating. And that is really disappointing that, you know, to I've hear. Never... Because you filmed yeah, so much and the, stuff. The one place that that was true, yeah. They, they had me say at one point towards the very end, I've never had enough money to eat well, and that's why I'm here. And that is like nauseating to, me to hear because that's not true. And I felt like it painted a very different picture of who I am. And, um, and it basically made me say that I was there for the money because I was desperate for money because I don't have enough money to eat otherwise, which is absurd. 
Um, and it is definitely true that I have lived on a lot less money than, you know, like well under the poverty line and that that has affected some of my food choices in terms of like being able to buy all of the healthiest organic food and whatever I want all the time. And yet the way they made it say that is like that I've been so poor that I'm starving and that that was my motivation for being on the show. And that was like a complete 180 and the furthest thing from the truth. So in that way, I felt very misrepresented. And, um, you know, I've had people write me saying like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I hope you can afford to eat now. And oh, I'm just like, oh, God. my God, <laughs> that's awful. And, you know, I think that overall, you know, that one part. So they, they do interviews with you before you go, when you come back and when they come and do medical checks. And sometimes they use that those audio clips and overlay it onto your time out as if it's what you're saying in the moment. Sure. And that's what happened with that clip. And it wasn't, that was, that was a moment when I like went out to the lake to sing this beautiful song of hope and joy. And instead they did this overlay of audio saying, I'm so poor me. I'm so poor. I can't afford to eat. And I'm just here so that I can afford to get a decent meal for once. And um, (laughs) I think that most people, most everyone I feel like who has written me, which is like hundreds, thousands of people, um, that part of the message is not what they can, like, I think it's clear of, like, my energy and most of the things that, like, my joy and my positivity were what came through more, and the contrast of that one sentence was, um, you know, was big enough that they don't even see that as part of my journey, it seems like, most people who write, and I hope that that's true, yeah. Um, but... That was that's a sore spot for me. That's the one major sore spot for me. And, um, and with the whole fair enough. Um, I, yeah. Kat Plank is a person. She wanted to ask a question. Um, your master's degree is in what? And uh, she says environmental science. Environmental oh, science. Sorry, I'll let you finish. Oh no! So she said mm-hmm. she's personally curious about your background. So environmental science, and it's obvious that you have mad skills that are extremely niche. Um, but how did you decide to learn those kinds of skills? And so I guess it would be when you were when you were 19 or was it when you were younger even that you, you already said at the beginning you went into a, a, a skills program, a wilderness program when you were 19. Was that when you started this journey into ancestral skills or was it before that that you had a great interest even like as a young child? Yeah, that's a great question. Definitely as a young child, um, I was always super fascinated. Like all of my favorite books, you know, like I had a book about Ishii when I was a kid and all of the little house books and Laura Ingalls um, Wilder's story and Island of the Blue Dolphins. Like those were the books that I loved and, you know, Hatchet and that kind of thing. So I was obsessed with these things as a kid and like all of my childhood games were me as Karana on the land. Like I would pick red clover blossoms and, you know, put them in a hole in the ground because I was saving up food for the winter. You know, that was, that was what I was obsessed with. But I didn't think that those things were, you know, I thought that that was from the past and not something that was available to me. So, um, so I, you know, I always did a lot of things with my hands. I was into sewing and knitting and crocheting and that kind of thing. And like the handcrafts that were available to me, but I didn't really have other avenues. Um, you know, like I grew up in a rural place, but you know, we weren't, we weren't, we grew strawberries and we grew a small garden, but you know, we weren't like harvesting wild food or anything. This wasn't in my, wasn't in my background and how I was raised up. Um, but I was always looking for that stuff. And when I was, um, 
I think a freshman or a sophomore, I think a sophomore in college, and I went to school for biology and environmental studies. So like a deep connection to the natural world was always a part of me. And my parents were both outdoor people. My dad was a, an endurance runner doing 100-mile trail runs, and cool. my mom was a backpacker and in the Sierra Club. So I spent a lot of time hiking and, you know, out in wild places as a kid. Um, but it was when I was a sophomore in college that a friend of mine gave me a book, um, The Tracker by Tom Brown Jr., um, where he kind of talks about using these skills in his childhood um, coming into relationship with the land. And that was really inspiring to me. And so when I wanted to do a field course one summer, I specifically looked for one um, that might have some some of those skills and found um, found one that had instructors who had taught some ancestral skills. And so I chose the course based on that. And that's not what the focus of the course was, but it was a big focus for me because that was where my interest laid. Um, and then they told me about a skills gathering that they had been to that was all focused on ancestral skills. And so I went to that and that was um, when I was 19. And so that was what really showed me that in fact, this was something that was still available that people were still doing. And then from that point on, I just threw myself into it wholeheartedly and definitely kind of had like fantasies about running off naked into the wilderness, you know, with just my knife and living there forevermore. And um, my first gathering was when I was introduced to buckskin clothing and that completely changed my life and became my biggest goal was to, you know, learn to tan hides and make clothing for myself. And um, so, yeah, from that point on, anytime I wasn't in school, I was, I was out in the woods by myself doing skilled stuff um, or going to gatherings whenever I could and spending summers on some land in Idaho with a bunch of folks who were teaching and practicing skills and, you know, organizing Stone Age trips and harvesting wild food and just you know, learning as much as I could in every possible way. Um, and, you know, then I had, then I had a period in my early twenties where I kind of, where I was in, involved in a relationship and with my first husband and, um, that wasn't really the life that he wanted to live. And I felt like I ended up compromising a lot on how, how I was living for, for love, you know, for that relationship. And, um, that was how I ended up in grad school actually was kind of trying like not not being happy in the normal working world. And I was working, you know, interesting jobs. I was doing environmental ed and working as a naturalist in a state park and doing cool stuff, but it just wasn't me. It wasn't the life that I wanted. I wanted something so much more wild and rugged and um, really had this period of feeling like I compromised so much of myself and lost myself and became really deeply depressed and, um, even suicidal. We have like the um, same story. It's tripping me out, but keep going. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I think it's a common one. Um, so yeah, so I spent a lot of my twenties compromising on what I wanted to do. And then eventually, um, I was in grad school when I kind of, I don't know, like came to a place where I realized that like my soul was dying and I couldn't, I couldn't do what I was doing anymore and ended up, you know, leaving my husband quitting grad school. I, I had enough credits to get my degree, but I quit my thesis. So I ended up graduating with a non-thesis science degree, which means you can't really work in academia. You can do a lot of other things, but you're not going to ever go on to be a professor or anything um, or a researcher. But um, but I, it was pretty clear that I didn't want to anyway at that point. So yeah, so I ended up, you know, quitting grad school, leaving my husband and moving away from my like, you know, easy house 
outside of town and running off to Northern Ontario um, with someone that I met at a friend's wedding who was about to go out on this crazy journey and um, living up there for a while until the Canadian government kicked us out. <laughs> and from that moment on, just really absolutely devoted to living my life and not compromising on that again and living a much wilder, less conventional life. Um, but yeah, I've, I came to that through compromising and trying to, you know, quote, be normal and live a normal life for a while and just being absolutely miserable and feeling trapped and, um, yeah. And you, you gave know, up learned, the safety. Learned the hard way. You gave up the safety for your gave truth. Up the safety for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, I did yeah. the same thing. I was married for a long time and, and I left him and all, it's very, very similar story, very depressed, trying to, blah, blah, and now I do what I want. Yay! So I'm glad that you. Yeah, I, have and like, I think it's, it's been gratifying because, yeah. I just have a, I have a couple more questions for you because we've been going for an hour and I don't want to take up too much of your time because you're so awesome. But I mean, I, I want <laughs> to take up all of your time, but I don't. I also don't want to, you know. So finish your thing and then I have like two more questions. Oh, I was just going to say that at the time, I think it was hard, you know, it was like quite devastating for my husband. We're still very good friends. He's a wonderful man. But, you know, I think at the time he never really believed me about why I was dissatisfied and how I said I wanted to live. Um, and, you know, because I was not doing those things. I had been compromising. So it's like, yeah, you say that. But but I think now and especially after alone now, he's like, okay, yeah, I, I get it now. I get that what you were saying all along of what you actually needed and wanted. Yeah, it makes more sense now. <laughs> 73 so it's gratifying days. in that way, but like, yeah. Uh, so have you ever thought of going back to your Arctic Peninsula, like during the summer? I would love to. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd love to. I mean, once, once I have a little bit more space in my life, that is definitely um, a, very much a goal. I intend... I intend to do so. I also intend to spend some time on that lake, places where one can actually catch fish and just gorge on trout. <laughs> yeah, I saw those beautiful fish. Um, okay, so yeah. my last question, it might be totally inappropriate, but, and I can cut it out of the interview <laughs> if you want. Okay, the way I came to the show, because I, I'm a stand-up comedian, I watched 